0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to CollinsLastStand.com. Greetings and salutations! Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode eighty-three. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined, as always, by Chris. Cancelled Raygun. Chris, I heard that you wanted to be cancelled, and I think we can uh, we can accomplish that for you.
2: Yeah, today. I know. I, I you know, uh, I'm just hoping that one day that I can
1: experience it. Just know what yeah. it's like. It's wonderful. It's really a wonderful feeling. <laughs> uh, I loved being cancelled. I think I've been cancelled like several times. Yeah, but. it is what it is. I appreciate it. Actually, it really helped me out a lot. So yeah, you know, thanks for that. And so I think the same thing would happen to you as well. And uh, yeah, I saw that you were making a little joke. You kind of made a joke making fun of someone, but you used like one of the pronoun kind of jokes. And then people got pretty upset about that. Or some people did. Uh, And I I was like, I thought it was a pretty funny joke personally. Yeah. I I don't
2: know. I didn't. I just, I, (laughs) It just seemed like a really basic, lazy throwaway joke. Uh, I don't think anybody really
1: cares that much. No, they'll pretend to care. They'll pretend to care, though. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, you don't want you don't want to mess with people's pronouns. Not these days. Not in twenty twenty. Are, are you? Would, do you think you'll ever put your pronouns in your Twitter bio? Like he, he no. slash him. No, definitely not.
2: I yeah. I think first of all, I don't think I need to, but also yeah. just. Uh, like I get it, I understand it, but it's also mm. like what I can't, I can't joke about it. Come on.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny to joke about. It. I mean, a lot of people do joke about it. I, I you know, do whatever you want. I don't care. You know? Yeah. See, I know that no matter what I put in there, I could put he slash him into my, into my Twitter profile, but people are just gonna call me horrible things anyway. It's not like yeah, that's yeah. gonna help me. Who's gonna, who's gonna care? I was honestly super disappointed that it got
2: that much traction in the first place, because I was like, oh, that that basic lazy throwaway joke got 17,000 likes. Like are you serious? Not bad. Not
1: What's bad. wrong Twitter's, with Twitter's. Well, this is like one of the things it, the worst things get traction on Twitter. Sometimes I make really great jokes, I know they're really great because I'm really funny. And <laughs> you know, they don't get as, as much traction as I would have wanted to and then I say something like you said like that's really not smart or interesting or clever and you know, gets a lot of traction. So Twitter is for the brainless masses. That's why we're on it all the time. Yeah. All right, Chris. Well, Sacred Symbols PlayStation podcast, as everyone knows, our weekly PlayStation show. You can get it three days early and ad free by supporting us on Patreon, along with almost 8000 people. Patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. We appreciate your kindness, your love and your support. You can just go to CollinsLastStand.com. It'll direct you to everything, including our merchandise. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes, etc., etc. I know we had some problems with episode 82 on iTunes. If you experience those problems, too bad. I don't know what to do about it. But our uh, our reps are looking into it. But I I actually put out a thing on Twitter saying that we were looking into it. And a lot of people were like, oh, it works fine for me. So I don't know. It really doesn't matter, I guess. Yeah. Sacred Symbols Plus is our supplemental podcast that we do every week for this show. This is only available to patrons. And last week we did one. uh, It says here E3, but that's not true. Last week we did one about... Our most anticipated 2020 games I picked five, you picked five and the audience picked a couple dozen I think and that was a really good episode. I think we'll jump into the mailbag. Yeah this week. it's been a minute. It's getting kind of rotund, digitally <laughs> rotund. We have uh, questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas going all the way back to I think episode 72 or 73 so we should start delving into those. And Chris, I'm gonna do something I'm gonna do something unprecedented today. just totally unprecedented in the history of sacred symbols. Oh, people might recognize some names that write into us. Remember, you have to support us on Patreon to write in and get your inquiry read on the air. And we get tons of inquiries and then I kind of choose them. And one of the names you might recognize is Adam. O. Adam. O. and I got to be honest with you. I don't know if Adam is not a native English speaker. I don't know if Adam is just fucking with me at this point, but I'm banning Adamo from submitting more questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas until he gets his grammar in order, until he gets his spelling in order, until he gets his punctuation in order, because I was going through the mailbag this week. And Adam, you got to you got to do it. You got to shape up. You got to do it. You got to shape up. So Adamo banned, banned. It's also oh, we, yeah, we also
2: it, I think it's also important to recognize that, you know, There's a, there's a decent amount of dyslexia here. So that doesn't help either. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That, no, no doubt. That added to the, to the, you know, the grammar problem is uh, just a perfect storm.
1: I just, I don't know. You got to see some of these things Adam's writing in. I don't know. See, I don't know if this is like a really deep meta joke that's going on. You know what I mean? Like where it's like, he knows that this kind of gets under my skin. So the more he writes in, the worse it becomes. But I don't know about that. And I, I can't parse through it all. So, Adam, you're banned. You're banned, Adam. <laughs> Damn. Poor Adam. Do, do please keep supporting us on uh, Patreon, Adam, of course. Yeah. Of and course. by the way, Adam, the only thing you have to do to get unbanned is just submit something that I can read. That's it. <laughs> just anything that I can read. Oh, my goodness. Chris, we have a bunch of questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas to get through before we get into what we're playing, and then we get into the news. Not really a robust news week, i got to be honest with you, but there are some things of interest to get through. I know that there are some rumors bouncing around about two different things, really three different games. Some rumors are circulating that Konami is working on a couple of Silent Hill games. That's unsubstantiated, but I would believe it, but we're not really going to cover that here. There's also a rumor circulating that KOTOR, Knights of the Old Republic, the old Star Wars role-playing game from Bioware, is maybe making a comeback, maybe in some sort of hybrid form. Mr. Matty Plays wrote into us and he says, Sup fellas, as a certified KOTOR fanboy, I'm itching to know your thoughts on the recent rumor of the KOTOR remake. Given Bioware's history and the likelihood that Bioware Austin is working on this, it's both exciting and nerve-wracking. What say you? So Chris, did you see any of this these I uh, think this was circulating on like Star Wars sites so this didn't even migrate to gaming sites until very recently yeah so did you see anything about these uh, kotor rumors yeah I heard a
2: little bit about it uh I didn't know what to really think of it because I had never really delved that far into kotor nor am I a huge Star Wars fan really as anybody who listens to this probably knows by now I I mean I would like to see uh, that's apparently one of the best Star Wars games ever made. So it would be cool to see a remake. I just don't know how likely it is to see a remake of something that is that
1: large. Like, because I'm pretty sure that game's kind of huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's a big one. It's the reason that I bought an Xbox, actually, back in 2003. KOTOR was my first game. I also bought Halo when I bought my Xbox, the original Halo. Yeah. But yeah, KOTOR is a large game. and, And I actually went back and looked at it recently. Really? I don't know. I know people have a soft spot for this game, and it was really fun at the time, but it hasn't really aged well. So a remake of it would be pretty cool. And there was a sequel that I think Obsidian actually made. Mm-hmm. And the, the rumor states that it's possible that the game is, the both games are kind of remade and fused into one in some sort of coherent way. I, I, the, this is kind of when rumors, in my opinion, kind of get out of control and why I don't believe so many things. It's like we said last week about the PlayStation 5 launch library rumor that had MLB The Show 21 as a launch game. Well, that's definitely not true. So that that to me, I looked at that and I'm like, well, that that can't the rest of this probably isn't true as well. You know, so right. I just wanted to throw that out there. We don't really have any substantiation about these rumors, but I do want to acknowledge them because I know some of you will be interested to hear about that. And when we have more news or a source that I think is reliable talks about it, then we'll talk about it further. But uh, yeah, KOTOR, one of the uh, great games, I think, on Xbox at the time, along with my favorite Xbox game. Rainbow Six Three, really? Which I really enjoyed very much. Oh, I loved it, absolutely loved it. Hmm, that's an interesting choice. I wouldn't have pegged that. Yeah, me neither. I mean, that was really the first kind of game of its type that I really, other than Soldier of Fortune, which I played a lot on PC, and I like you know turn of the turn of the century.
2: You I didn't like uh, you didn't you weren't a you weren't a fan of Blinks the Time Sweeper?
1: No, I I, I Blinks. I'm kind of surprised Blinks <laughs> hasn't come back in some way. It's just like something you think they'd be like. All right, let's give. million to some random studio. It's kind of like other ocean making medieval. You would think Microsoft would do something similar with blinks just to see what happens because it's kind of a cool character. Yeah, but it's stranded on this old (laughs) platform. No one's going to play what we used to call Xbox one, but we can't call it that anymore. Of course. Uh, All right, Chris, let's get into a couple of things we need to clean up. Jeremy wrote in said correction. Kind of. Just some additional info regarding that Ready of Dawn order sequel from rumor from Neo Gaff. The insider wrote a description of a vertical slice he saw. People made the assumption it was an order 1886 sequel. He never said it was. And then the Internet just ran with it. I think you're being a little pedantic, Jeremy, because if you read the things he wrote, he it's, it's like the largest wink and nod. Of course, that's what it is. Yeah. And uh, I appreciate the correction because you're technically right. He never did say that. And I think it's because he doesn't want to give himself away if he's indeed a reliable rumor monger, let's say. But uh yeah, I want to throw that out there. It could be something else, but it's pretty clear based on his wink and nods that you can see from space that he's talking about the order, <laughs> what I would assume the order 1887 or whatever they're going to call it. And yeah. I, I, I kind of believe this rumor, but we talked about it last week. Yeah. So I won't get too deep into it now. Chris, this is an interesting one. I did forget about this. This one's for you. Ryan Rumsey wrote in, I'm wondering if I wrote that right or if it was Ramsey. I think I, I don't know if I would have made that spelling mistake. So let's just go with it. Ryan Rumsey wrote in and said, hi, guys, is Chris forgetting he's getting a PlayStation five for free for getting the Platinum and Crash Team Racing? He's expressed some hesitation about getting one at launch a few times on this podcast and Snark Tank, which is Chris's new show. That's well, not really new, but it's, it's revived. Yeah. He always follows up by saying, of course, he'll get one. But I just want to make sure the dude pays up. This is a good point. Chris, you are actually entitled to a free PlayStation Five based on a bet we made. Well, I didn't make it; you made it with a listener, and so we we have to keep that in mind. Well, I mean,
2: are you gonna are you gonna follow through on this? Well, here's here's the thing about that bet: the bet or what the bet was originally that the dude in the Middle East or wherever the hell this dude was, <laughs> I actually don't remember at all. Uh, what it was like some country that I never heard of. Oman, I think it Oman, was. yeah. The dude in Oman would get me a PS5 if I got the Platinum. But if you remember correctly, I turned that bet around and made it so that if I didn't get the Platinum in a week, then I would have to get him a PlayStation 5. The previous bet was no longer a thing because I accept gifts from no one. Uh, that I was see. the gift. So the only, oh, thing, okay. the only thing that that bet really secured was me not spending 500 or more dollars on shipping a heavy box to a country I'd never heard of.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, I appreciate your candor and your honesty there, because you probably could have snagged a PlayStation five through some sort of loophole, some sort of bet loophole. But do you think in Oman they go, you know, they go like, oh, man, you know, oh, (laughs) man, might be the worst thing I've Uh, ever heard. I know it's terrible. It was a terrible joke. Even in my head, I'm like, that's not funny. But I said it anyway. (laughs) Carl Brown wrote into us and he says, hello, chaps. That's it. I wonder if he hit enter. Too soon or if that's all he wanted to say? (laughs) Just just what's up. Yeah, he just said, hello, chaps. Uh, Hello, Carl. I don't know if you have more to say, because sometimes I feel like people hit enter. And then I'm always kind of perplexed by that because then a lot of people don't go back and like edit it or submit another comment. So I'm like, you did it get lost in in translation here somewhere in in the digital ether? No, no. Carl is just a a wholesome chap and he just wanted to say hi. Yeah, appreciate that. Appreciate that. Aaron Chisholm wrote into us and said, Evening Men is getting up through the night and sitting down like a woman to pee acceptable. Now, there is a curb your enthusiasm with a subplot that is this exact thing. Yeah. Chris, do you do you ever sit down and pee as a man with a penis? No,
2: I I, Hmm. no, not. Not unless I'm sitting down for other reasons. Like there's no there's no way that I'm what's the purpose? It I seems don't like more I th- effort to just pull everything down and sit down. And then you're now you're in like a now you're in a state that's going to be harder to get yourself out of than mm. just than if you were just standing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I don't think that there's a problem with it, but that's what you want to do. But I'm with you. I like to just kind of pee standing up unless I'm pooping. See, now the, the question is, is it acceptable for a woman to pee standing up? Yeah. And I would say, do whatever makes you happy. Do, how many times do I have to tell you guys to do what feels good <laughs> and do o- and do only what and feels do good. only only that Jamie Calabrese wrote into us? And actually, this was Jamie Calabrese's postscript to his letter. But I just erased all of that. And I just wanted to go right into this. He says, how C see squad? Can a human be sucked into a pokeball? Never really thought about it. OK, well, fortunately for everyone here, I'm very
2: knowledgeable on this subject. Uh, Jamie, so let me lay down some facts for you. Mewtwo, very popular Pokemon, probably one of uh, one of the most popular, aside from like the obvious, you know, starters from Gen One. Mewtwo is actually part human, which is a creepy and disturbing fact. Yeah, it's horrible. He can obviously be caught with a Pokeball, but a full human person cannot be caught with a Pokeball because in the series, several people get hit with Pokeballs and nothing happens. So essentially, a human can only be caught if they're only half human. Which technically means you can potentially catch, like, vampires and werewolves in Pokeballs if they also existed
1: in that universe. Why do you know this? I, I, don't, don't, know. I don't know. I don't know this. why
2: that just triggered. That just triggered, like, a lot of lore in my head yeah. for some reason. I, I didn't real, even really. Impressive. I watched the Pokemon show when I was a kid for, like, maybe one year. And I played, I think, the all the Pokemon games up to, like, gold and silver. So, like, up until the year, like, 2000. 2001. Mm. So that's like the last time I ever thought about Pokemon in any meaningful way. And uh, I got to tell you, I'm really off put by the fact
1: that I remembered all this. Yeah, I'm I'm actually off put by it as well. I, I thought that maybe we would have a more comprehensive discussion, but there's no need because you have the knowledge and the information that we needed to answer this question. Now, what I've always been confused about with Pokemon, I actually really liked Pokemon when I was younger, too. I was actually way too old to be playing Pokemon. But the interesting thing about it is... People, you know, especially like these like really predictable woke websites write about like the colonialism of Monster Hunter and yeah, all this yeah. garbage. But no one seems to be worried about what is essentially this animal slave trade that thrives <laughs> in the Pokemon universe. So like what is happening? What is going on in this world where people are just going around throwing shit at wild animals, capturing them? and then pitting them against each other. I know that this is not a new like note. I mean this goes back to the 90s on message boards and stuff, but I just am confused why everyone just kind of turns a blind eye to this. You think that this would be a pretty big controversy that you'd have animals like cockfighting against each other. This is like a Michael Vick situation basically.
2: Yeah. It's a it's a series it's a series in which every child is Michael Vick. <laughs> That's what Pokémon is. How terrifying. No, I I mean, yeah, it is basically, like, cockfighting. Like, just, basically, you just put a bunch of animals in the ring and just tell them to beat each other up, except they're supernatural. What always confused me was that, like, those, every single Pokemon is, like, probably objectively stronger than any given human person, right?
1: Like, that would... Oh, I would, definitely,
2: I mean, they have power over the fucking elements. So, like, you'd imagine that if a Pikachu really wanted to break free it wouldn't be too difficult. So there there's there must be some aspect of pokemon are like addicted to fighting or something.
1: Yeah, they like it. Yeah, cuz you you're right. You think that there would be some sort of rebellion. Like yeah. if you're a geo if you're a geo dude, why don't you just take your stone fist and punch right through the face of your pokemon trainer and, and break free.
2: Yeah, there would just be just murder him. Yeah, there there would be there would be nothing stopping you. If you were a geo dude with your mountainous hands,
1: I know. It is really weird. It's very weird. Uh, I don't understand it at all, but video games, man. Video (laughs) games. Tyler Malter wrote into us and said, Colin and Chris, last week, I was really taken aback by Chris saying that he would not ride a bike, but instead be on a scooter. The statement has messed with me all week. His rationale was that going downhill on a scooter is better because it's just standing. He is correct. However... (laughs) Going downhill on a bicycle is just sitting. Chris, how on earth can you justify standing and pushing a scooter around as using less energy than sitting and pedaling? Thanks for keeping Tuesdays great. I think he has you he here, Chris. I'm laughing at my own I'm laughing at my own argument. It's, 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 <laughs> it's just standing. It's uh, just
2: stand- No, listen, Tyler, have you ever Have you ever been on a bike free falling down a hill at ridiculous speeds? The pedals which are already jagged, and hard, and destructive, become th- this fucking turbine. And the, f- <laughs> and the fortitude of your shins are completely forfeit at that point. Your legs are going to get, they're gonna get dented and mangled if a bike loses control. A scooter, by comparison, is literally just standing on a thing, but real fast. And if you fall, yeah, you're probably gonna fall and it's gonna suck, but at least you won't have to worry about a rampant pinwheel rendering you legless.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I actually appreciate that point. I feel like you have a better chance of bailing out of a scooter or off a scooter. Yeah. In some sort of calamitous situation like that. Yeah, it's a good point. Because you know, like when you're riding a bike like it and you're gonna fall off the bike and you know it's gonna happen. It's yeah. very unique to it's very unique in my experience, like to being on a bike. It, it, there's nothing else like it where it's like a second and a half, maybe two seconds before you fall off the bike, you're like, This is happening. I'm gonna fall off this bike. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I don't really know that I've had that experience on scooters before. So it's kind of where my mind was at. But that's actually interesting. I appreciate you trying to dissect Chris's uh, strategy there, Tyler. Thank you for your letter to Patreon. Mark Zebro Jr. wrote in and said, hello, Colin and Chris. Have you ever been in a position where you were asked to spare a square? This is, of course, a Seinfeld reference. Or have you ever asked someone else to spare a square? Thank you and have a nice day. So this is uh, in reference to Elaine and a tribulation she had in a show where she was out of toilet paper and the person next door wouldn't give her any toilet paper in the, in the booth Have you, or in the stall. Have you ever experienced <laughs> this before, Chris? You know what? I, I could never relate to that
2: entire situation where you're in a bathroom and you've done your business and you don't have toilet paper. It, it has genuinely for real never happened to me in my
1: 26 years of life. Me neither. I got to be honest with you. It's yeah, right. Uh, not in public. In private, I've definitely like gone to reach for the toilet paper and been like, "Oh, there's no toilet paper here for me to use," and then I have to like go like waddle into like another room,
2: that's, you know, or that's, into the shower. Yeah, it's it's just never. It's never happened. Probably just the sheer amount of anxiety and stress that I inhabit on a daily basis. I'm never relaxed enough to just forget something. That important, like like I check for my phone, my wallet, and my keys every few minutes, even when I'm in my own apartment, because I know how stressful it is to lose those things. But when I'm in a bathroom, there's literally, there's literally only one thing that I need to be there, and that's the first thing I, I look at the, I look at the 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 what do you call, what do you what do you call that thing that holds the, dispense, the toilet paper?
1: A dispenser, you would say, a dispenser. I, I the the rod.
2: I look I look at the thing and I'm like, oh, there's toilet paper. Good. I'm set. If I don't have toilet paper, I'll just look for toilet paper. It's like, I, I, I've I just, I never understood that circumstance. But it's a good, it's a good part of uh, that episode of Seinfeld. Yeah, it's, it's,
1: I've always found it kind of peculiar because, like, I don't know. Well, let me, let me back up here because I have a lot on my mind about this to- topic for some reason. I always get mad when I'm in a situation in a private home where, you know, you're at a toilet paper and then you, you have to be the one to put the toilet paper, the new roll back on the dispenser. You know, you can't just walk out and be like, I use the last of the toilet paper and now I'm going to bounce because then it leaves people in those particular situations. So I don't ever put myself or others in that situation. But it, it reminds me of an episode of Dr. Phil I watched like maybe <laughs> 15 years ago <laughs> about about really cheap people. Like, and it was like this family whose dad was like really cheap and he would go buy, I don't know why I remember this because it's fucking nuts. He would go buy like the really cheap, like uh, <laughs> Scott two ply toilet paper and then rip it apart so that it would be like one ply toilet paper and then roll it back up because he wanted to save money on toilet paper that way. And that always just. Oh, my God. I always think about that guy. I always think about him.
2: That I mean, yeah, that would be something that would stick out if I
1: heard that. I would definitely remember it. All right. Let's see. Ronnie Escato wrote in and said, greeting CNC last week at work. My coworkers and myself were talking about diners. We got in this long debate of which is better, Denny's or Norm's. I personally, if I have to, will go with Denny's. I would like your opinion. Uh, uh, I would like the opinion of you, fellow gentlemen. I got to be honest with you. I have no idea what the fuck Norm's is. I was, I, I, was say, I
2: was about to say the same thing. I was like, what the fuck is Norm's? Norm? Yeah, Norm's. I don't know. Is that is that a thing? I guess that's really a thing. That can't be like a nationwide thing. That's got to be like a local... He's comparing a nationwide chain, Denny's, to what I assume Norms is, which is like kind of more more of a local dive kind of diner. Because I've never... I have never seen a passing glance of a Norms in my entire life. And I've been a lot of places. I've driven
1: across the country. Never seen a Norms in my life. I'm looking this up now... On Wikipedia, Norm's Restaurant, restaurants is a chain of diner-style restaurants in Southern California. (laughs) I lived in Southern California. Chris lives there now. I've never heard of this (laughs) in my entire life. Yeah, I've never heard of this. There's only 19 of them, so maybe that's why. I mean, that's not many. I mean, there's got to be hundreds of Denny's. I don't really dislike Denny's, but I there was a Denny's down the street from me in Santa Monica. They knocked it down to make put up an apartment building, like they do with everything in Santa Monica at this point. And I actually only went there once. I went there in the middle of the night. I was like, I was done with my work. I was really amped up to just be left alone and like eat a cheeseburger. And I had like the most chatty Kathy fucking waiter that just wouldn't shut the fuck up. <laughs> and it like, it, I'm I'm pretty polite and nice. And I actually just wrote it out. But I, I just wanted to be like, I, I wanted to be like, dude, you got to shut the fuck up. You know, like you can't. I don't want to talk about. I think we were talking. He was like talking about like alien abductions and shit. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, this is crazy. <laughs> Leave me alone, please, sir. It's a Classic Denny's conversation. I know. I, I assume that was not even the, one of the weirdest things that happened at that Denny's that night, but it's no longer there. I was glad I got to experience it. So norms, I guess it is real. There are 19 of them in Southern California. Never heard of it. Finally, before we get into what we're playing, Austin Kohler wrote in and said, hey, boys, not in a million years would I think that a story about me accidentally pooping in my pants would turn into a multi-part saga documenting my relationship with my girlfriend that's right my girlfriend here's an update for anyone interested i'm still with her dating exclusively we met each other's families over the holidays her family seems to dig me and my family really likes her tomorrow we fly to hawaii for a vacation she gave me as a christmas present she's awesome i really like her and so far no red flags well i think you shitting your pants was a red flag but Fingers crossed for the future, boys. Thanks for the pod and keep fucking that special someone in your life. That is so crazy. that is crazy. I think that's part five of this saga. Yeah. Congratulations to you. Also. I mean, she gave you a, a trip to Hawaii. She must really like you quite a bit. Don't shit when you're on the plane on the way to Hawaii. It's pretty far away. Uh, well, shit in the toilet if you want, but just not in your pants. That's quite the story. It's really uplifting, isn't it? Yeah, it's nice.
2: It's that's uh, the most positive outcome like that is not how i would have predicted the story to go at the at the first entry you know what i mean like
1: this is a very uh very twisty and turny story yeah it doesn't really make any sense actually but i believe (laughs) that it happened and it couldn't have gone any better right like that situation the butterfly effect from the situation when he shit his pants on the date could have gone in myriad directions but almost all of them bad and this was the best possible outcome, basically. Yeah. And and what a story. If Austin clearly isn't very uh, persnickety about the things he tells other people since there are like 50 or 60,000 people that listen to the show that know all about him now and him pooping himself. So this is a story that they can tell their children and grandchildren. Oh, well, we went on a date and I shit myself. Ah. You know, when he's carving the turkey at Christmas or whatever. So, uh, well, congratulations, Austin. We're really, really proud of you.
0: in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie dot com. That's A.N.G.I. dot com.
1: Chris, what have you been playing here? It, seems, it says you said it says nothing. Absolutely nothing. How shameful.
2: Yeah, I have not I've capital been letters. Yeah, I've been working a lot. I've been uh editing All these, all these podcasts I've been, you know, working to get this video out. I'm excited about this new video that I'm working on and I'm just trying to like kind of focus in on it.
1: Sure. But yeah, I'm still playing the Witcher obviously, but like this week I've just made no progress in it. Yeah, I understand that. These weeks happen. I mean, it totally happens. I'm not, I'm not upset about it. I think the audience understands. I'm still working on Dragon Quest 11. I'm like 30 hours in now. I'm trying to just put a few hours into it every night. Um, At this rate, I'll be done with it sometime in two years. Uh, Danny Garcia (laughs) wrote in and said, Moriarty, one week left in January. Are you almost done with your first JRPG of the year? Or are you ready to admit defeat and prove you're a fake gamer boy? It it probably wasn't the smartest idea to play this 100 hour JRPG first. But I'm dedicated to playing 12 Japanese role playing games this year. So it might not quite line up properly. And I don't want to just abandon Dragon Quest to try the next game because I've come so far. I mean, I might as well, I might as well keep going at this point. So uh, it's it's good. It's a very good game. Very linear. Very interesting. Yeah. Very turn based. Very cute. Uh, am I a fake gamer boy? I will leave that, of course, up to you.
2: You definitely picked one of the most time consuming genres for a challenge like this.
1: Yeah, that was kind of the idea, though, because I could do like a first person shooter a, a, a month, but that's not really a challenge. The The real question is, how is this all going to turn out? When games actually start coming out that I want to play. That's the problem I'm going to encounter, I expect. So Right. I don't know. Yeah, probably not the best bet, but I'm dedicated to it. I'm dedicated to it. So we'll keep chronicling it as we go week by week. But Chris, let's get into the news. Sure thing. Number one, Chinese mega corporation Tencent is gearing up to purchase yet another massive publisher/slash developer, continuing its breakneck expansion into Western gaming markets. According to multiple posts on its investor-facing website, Funcom is gearing to sell wholesale to Tencent, though it needs investor approval to do so. Tencent is apparently offering approximately 30% over market value for the company, thus making the sale all but a far-gone conclusion. Tencent is only a 22-year-old company and employs some 55,000 people globally. As you recall from previous episodes of Sacred Symbols, the conglomerate already owns all of League of Legends creator Riot Games, around 85% of Clash of Clans Dev Supercell, 40% of Unreal Engine owning and Fortnite creating Epic, 5% of Activision Blizzard, 5% of Ubisoft, and stakes in lots of other devs and pubs, too. Funcom is a Norwegian company founded in the early 90s and is perhaps best known for its age of Conan um, uh, MMORPGs, as well as other MMORPGs like Secret World Legends. It most recently published survival game Conan Exiles and strategy game Mutineer Year Zero Road to Eden, both in 2018. Chris, what do you think of this?
2: Uh, it's more China money. <laughs> it's I don't know, man. <laughs> Keep an eye on it, I guess. I don't know what I to do. It. Yeah. I don't know what to do about this at this point. And it's like you know what I mean. It's like, what 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 are you, what are you and me really gonna do
1: about China? You know, it's it just seems like there's nothing to do about it. I guess I'm just confused. Like, I guess I'm not confused what the end game is. The end game is to have tethers in lots of different areas, but it just seems like it's like an infinite amount of investment. I mean, I'm not trying to judge anyone for taking their money because if they came to me and were like, we'll buy your you know your company for whatever i'd be like all right yeah yeah
2: if it functionally Slide. if it basically functionally made like no difference if they were just like hey, hey here's like a bunch of money and your show is just the same yeah there i would see no reason to not take that the the the, the question is like what is the trade off for that money
1: cuz no money is given for no reason sure and I, I i'm a little I'm interested just in like what the value of Funcom is because right they're a company that's had some ubiquity, but I don't really feel like they're like a wise investment, but maybe i'm like I was looking like they're barely trading at like two dollars and fifty cents in equivalent monies, i guess euros on the I guess Scandinavian or one of the Scandinavian stock markets, so they're not really that valuable, so it could be a thing where ten cent is just coming in to pick the bones of this company, which is possible. So I don't know. We wish them the very best. And uh, I was looking at it. seems like Funcom only employs like 200 people. So it's not like a massive company and they do outsource a lot of their development. But it is it, it does. I, I don't know, like, what the value is here. Age of Conan. I guess they get the Conan IP to use if that's valuable. I, I don't know that it is. Yeah, Maybe it is. Uh, these games are on some of these games are on PlayStation. So. Uh, You guys can tell us, but I would really prefer if you didn't, actually. Because I don't care that much. Just wanted to throw that out there. Number two, Finnish developer Housemark is beloved in the PlayStation community with its longtime support of PS3, PSP, Vita, and PS4 well-established, with games ranging from Super Stardust and Dead Nation to Resogun and Nex Machina. However, many fans were somewhat concerned about the studio's long-term health, as it seemed to have made a wild left turn and put its eggs into a rather strange basket, a battle royale game called Storm Divers. In a post on the devs' official website celebrating its 25th anniversary, however, it seems to have made a wise decision, at least temporarily abandoning Stormdivers to work on something else. For starters, it revealed that its team has scaled in size tremendously and is now up to 80 heads, several times bigger than it was during the PlayStation-exclusive heyday. The blog post reads in part, quote, We are working on our biggest and most ambitious title yet and have amazing support from our yet-to-be-announced partner. Our team of almost 80 people is comprised of talented, smart, and hardworking individuals from all around the world, and it has been been invigorating and inspiring to see how this game concept has turned into reality as more and more ideas have formed the basis of a truly incredible product. Despite not knowing if we would ever get past the initial stages of pre-production, we have now spent almost three years working on this game, and now we are in full-scale production and super excited to reveal more in the coming months. Ellipsis? So now we are focused on delivering our most ambitious and biggest game to date, putting every other project on hold, including the development of Storm Divers, end quote. Storm Divers was announced in early 2018 and it immediately frightened fans of the studio since it's not only markedly different from their usual work, but represented an entrance into a jam-packed genre that already supports some of the biggest games in the industry. Housemark hasn't released a game since 2017, when it released Nex Machina on PS4 and PC and Matterfall exclusively on PS4. It remains to be seen who their aforementioned publishing partner is, but it's unlikely that it's Sony. Evan Betterman wrote in and said, Hey fellas, not sure if you saw, but they recently wrote a blog post about Housemark about their upcoming 25th anniversary this year and hyped up their next unannounced project as their most ambitious and biggest game to date, putting every other project on hold, including the development of Stormdivers. Do you have any insight into what they may be working on and who their next partner would be? I just hope they lean into their strengths—arcade arc- gameplay and co-op—rather than chasing after game fat. Current game fads like battle royales. Thanks for keeping Tuesdays great, uh, Chris. This is kind of a Colin was right moment because um, I'm very uh, intimately knowledgeable about, about Housemark, and uh, I knew that this was a bad idea for them to go into Storm Divers, and I think that they probably have realized that at this point that they're gonna die if they do it. Yeah. So. Uh, what do you think? What do you think they're going to do? I, I, at eighty people, this is basically a triple A game that can be that can have a budget of thirty, forty, fifty million dollars. So it's really interesting. They've clearly gotten a massive investment from someone. Uh, the question is who? And I know some people think or hope it's Sony, but I just can't imagine that it is. Sony would be the most familiar with them, of course. But Sony has also seemed to have pulled out of any really of any partnership. Uh, moving forward with them. So what do you think this could be? What do you want it to be?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't really, I, I'm not sure. I think, I think I'm just most curious. I don't even know necessarily what I want it to be. I'm just most curious about who it is that's putting the money down on this. And I, I wonder if, wouldn't it be wild if this was like an Xbox Game Studios thing? Could you imagine? Uh, yeah, that'd be, yeah that'd be awesome. That'd, that'd I be very wise. I, I, don't, I don't know if it'd be awesome necessarily. It, it would definitely be something. Like, it would be kind of a dick move, I think.
1: Yeah, they've had different publishing partners in the past a few times, like Ubisoft published Outland, which is a really cool side-scroller that they did, like an Ikaruga or Polarity style um, side-scroller that was excellent that came out in 2011. That was on Xbox 360 and PS3. And they also worked with Activision, I believe, on the Angry Birds stuff as publisher. I think it was Activision uh, for the ports to console. For all that stuff, so they do have other partners outside of Sony, but Sony has been their longtime patron, basically. Well, what do and, you? What do
2: you want? What do you want to say? Because I know that you're obviously super knowledgeable about this. These guys in particular.
1: Yeah, I just. I mean, what I want is not what's going to happen. Because I don't care who they partner with. It's just a matter of like, I would love for them to get back to these twin stick shooters that they used to make and these twin stick experiences, whether they're Dead Nation or Alien Nation. Super Stardust, and you know, I still think Resogun is one of PS4's strongest games. So they have this like real genetic code inside of them that seems to suggest that that's where they should stay. But I also understand that they ha- say that there are diminishing returns on making those kinds of games. But I'm not so sure that it's because the games are bad. I think it's because Sony has been an unreliable partner in the PS4 era and has not supported them the way that they need to be supported. And so what I would really love is for them to make like a, a beautiful AAA game twin stick shooter i mean that would be kind of cool but maybe yeah. people suggest that it's i mean there's just no way that that's what it is i wonder if it could be someone like konami with a contra game or something like that but they just released their own konami twin stick sh- shooter for contra you know like six months ago so i doubt it's that i just don't know i love the idea of it being xbox that will make a lot of people really upset in our ecosystem but i really just want to see House Mark survive and it could you know <laughs> Considering they're a Nordic company, it really could be THQ Nordic as well. (laughs) Oh, my God. I wouldn't be super surprised if that was the case. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Chris wrote in, not not Chris that is on the show, but another Chris. It's, hey, CNC. Colin has commented many times on recent podcasts about Sony abandoning support for quality indie games on the platform. Do you think Sony are going to push indie titles once again on PS5, especially given Shuhei Yoshida's new position? Yeah, I do. I mean, Shuhei Yoshida was removed or I don't know if he was removed or stepped down. I mean, it's really unclear, but he's no longer in charge of the first party anymore. And now he's kind of more into indie initiatives. What's unclear is if they're going after like $25 million second party games or if they're going after 10 person studio indie games and what they can do within that space. I mean, that's mostly what's unclear with Shuhei Yoshida and what's what's happening with him. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't I, I don't think we're going to see this really robust pub fun type thing that Sony used to do where they would invest money in all these different games and 90% of them wouldn't sell very well so you can you can imagine that they wouldn't want to do that again but I so I don't know like I, is Shuhei Yoshida chasing after like the next Supermassive or something like that or is he really going to like small teams and trying to find like the next Axiom Verge or the next uh, Stardew Valley or something I, I don't know I really don't know
2: yeah So it's, it's super we'll hard out. to say it's super hard to say early this early on especially because we don't really have any information about what Shuhei's doing all we know that it, all we really know is that it pertains to indie games and I you know like I, I, I seem to remember a story not too long ago about Sony talking about how their focus for PlayStation 5 is like hardcore exclusive experiences and I specifically seem to remember like that not seeming like they were going to push indie as a company necessarily but that doesn't mean yeah That doesn't mean Shuhei isn't going to do his due diligence in finding, you know, awesome talent. But I I do wonder if that talent is found, whether or not the actual brass at
1: Sony will even really care. Yeah, I I think you're absolutely, that's exactly right. Because what really happens at shows like, because people think this really happens at E3, but it's not so much happening at E3 on the smaller scale anymore. Really, when you go to places like PAX and stuff, that's where the companies are meeting with publishers and stakeholders now. And it's probably, I mean, I know how this all works because I know people that do offer money and I've known people that have done this for Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo. And there are games that are shown at PAX where the publishers and the three stakeholders are one-upping each other really in the same night. You know, we'll give you $5 million, we'll give you $6 million, we'll give you $7 million. You know, that, that kind of thing is happening. That kind of horse trading is happening. And so putting Shuhei Yoshida in a position where he can jet set around the world, which is what he always does anyway, and he's always, fla- he's never in Japan. He's always somewhere else. And to say, like, let's be preemptive. And if we hear of a certain game, instead of waiting for a trade show where it's most convenient for everyone to be, let's go where it's inconvenient for everyone to be and wine and dine. These people go to their home studio, see the game, make them offers before anyone else can get to them. But the ecosystem has changed, right? Chris, we've talked about this many times. Like when we were getting really interesting, like house mark type investments on PlayStation This was when a game would come out or two games at the most like every week. And there would be games when PSN where PSN had no games for sometimes like a few weeks. Yeah. And so when Dead Nation came out, it was like a big deal because that was like the only game, you know, on PlayStation Network that week or for that two weeks. But because Sony has decided to flood the zone so much with just any matter of game, regardless of quality, they've undercut their own ability to have that kind of stuff anymore. And they might look at it and say like, well, we don't really need that kind of stuff because other people are filling this void. This is exactly the argument they used to make with Call of Duty when they stole Call of Duty basically away from Xbox in terms of its exclusive map packs and shit like that, where they're like, we don't need Killzone to fill this void because we can just have Activision do it for us and they pay us for the, the right and we pay them for the right and everyone's kind of you know, bathing in money basically. So I don't really know exactly how this works, but I'm really interested. It would be nice to have Shuhei on the show at some point to talk about it, but then we all know that's not gonna happen. So
2: <laughs> Yeah.
1: So we'll find out and you know, we'll keep we'll keep a close eye on it. My I love Shuhei Oshida. He's always been a really nice guy to me and uh, he's really sweet. And some of my fondest memories in the industry are having dinner with him in Japan, you know, private dinners and him ordering shit in Japanese, and I have no idea what's even coming to the table, and it's kind of scary. And you know, before before you know it, you're you're enjoying like cow tongue or something, but you're like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. All right. Number three, I don't want to talk about this anymore, but we have to. In case you care, <laughs> the Uncharted movie has yet again been delayed. Weeks ago, we reported that the movie lost its sixth director over the last decade or so, depending on how you count. But now we know, via The Hollywood Reporter's Aaron Couch on Twitter, that the movie has been pushed out of its December 2020 release date and is now slated for a seemingly impossible release date of March 5th, 2021. This is the first movie in Sony's PlayStation Productions initiative, and it doesn't seem to be going very well so far. Uncharted is arguably Sony's best-known exclusive franchise created by fully-owned Team Naughty Dog. The first three games in the series came to PS3 in 2007— 2009 and 2011 respectively and was followed by uncharted 4 and the lost legacy on ps4 in 2006 and 2017 of course there is also the ben created golden abyss on vita doesn't really count although i quite like the game uh chris do you care i can't even stand talking about this anymore it's it's actually getting obnoxious
2: no i i really can't i can't muster up even like an ounce of care i don't want this i don't want an uncharted movie (laughs) my god it's already a movie. Like the the
1: whole game is like meant to be cinematic. Like, do you need this? The answer, of course, is no. And yeah, we've just we've talked about this ad nauseum. Maybe we should really dedicate a episode of Sacred Symbols Plus to this as well, because Sony's going to do this. I don't know if they're going to get Uncharted off the ground, but they created an entire vertical to take advantage of their IP in film form on behalf of Sony Pictures, called, like I said, PlayStation Productions. And I think they're also working on at least developing a twisted metal TV show, which makes a little bit more sense to me. Although I I just don't understand. See, there are all these like weird IP that would actually be way cooler to explore than their biggest games, like The Last of Us. Like there was that Last of Us cartoon that leaked this week. Which looked pretty cool that apparently never, well, that definitely didn't see the light of day and there's uncharted and there's whatever, but like, and days gone, but you can't really do days gone because that would be like the walking dead basically. And I don't know. I, I, I agree with you. And I've said this so much. I'm sick of saying, and I know people are sick of hearing it, but I just feel like this is a prove it kind of thing where it's like, we, we are more than video games. And it's like, well, I don't want you to be more than video games. That's what makes you special. PlayStation, PlayStation. That's what it's called. PlayStation. Not a movie station, which is fine if you want movies and all of this. And I understand that some people like, you know, the Resident Evil movies or whatever, but we don't need this. And like Chris said, it's not only that Uncharted is already a movie series, which it basically is. And Chris is right. But what makes it special is that it's an interactive movie series. So right. if I'm sitting there watching Mark Wahlberg or whoever. It's like, who gives a shit? I don't want this. I, w- I want that's not Nathan Drake. That's not Elena. That's not Sully. Just stop.
2: Yeah, uh, a lot, especially because a lot of these PlayStation stories, these specifically like the biggest PlayStation IP that that are available right now, are a lot more interesting on a character level and a lot more interesting on like a main character level than they are on a lore level. Like I don't, I don't really care about the lore of Uncharted. You know what I mean? Like I I don't know what's what the political situation is like in the world of Uncharted. I I don't really know. You know who's president. Of the United States and The Last of Us, I, I care more about you know what I mean. Like I care yeah. a lot. I care more about you know these characters that we've seen interact in the main games already, and I want to see more of that in game form. I don't want to see more of that in a in a form of media that I have no impact over because it's not a video game. I I, I feel like these kind of you know media medium hopping. Uh, experiments into diving into like a a franchise in movie form or TV show form is always done best when it's a story or a franchise or a series that is rich in world-building. Like Castlevania. The Castlevania show is great because so much of that world is interesting. So much of how that world works is fascinating, and, and the politics of that world is interesting. But I... I don't give a damn who's, you know, like I don't give a damn about Uncharted outside of Nathan Drake and the characters that interact with him. Sure.
1: Yeah, I'm with you there. Well, very well said. You got to find a really clever way to go into it. And if you can't, then just don't do it at all. This this movie seems cursed at the very least. I mean, like just you got to move on. I, It's not going to be good. I'm just telling you right now. It's not going to be good. Yeah, there's just no way. This is no way. It's going to be like uh, it's going to be like that Doom movie. Oh, man. Didn't that just come out? There's one that just came out. That's also terrible. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I saw that on Amazon. Yeah. definitely didn't watch it. Watching that Netflix show, The Last Kingdom, though. Really good. Oh, I really good. like it a lot. It's about the Saxons. If you want to be a bunch of nerds like me <laughs> and the Danes, number four. Back at PlayStation Experience in 2017, Sony revealed that its hit PSP game Patapon 2 would be coming to PlayStation 4. Then, we never heard a thing about it. That is, until now. Patapon 2 will be out by the time free listeners hear this podcast. It comes to PS4 digitally on January 30th. This ingenious rhythm game came to PSP back in 2008 in Japan and 2009 in the U.S. and was developed by Japanese team Pyramid, produced and published by Sony itself. The original Patapon came to Japanese PSPs in late 2007 and Western PSPs in 2008 and was launched on PS4 in the summer of 2017. It's unclear if Sony has any plans for 2011's Patapon 3, which has been stranded on PSP since launch. Patapon is one of the most beloved PSP franchises that has ever been, so it's cool to see it migrate over. And hey, you know what this tells me, Chris, is that the PSP rumors, which were pretty much unbelievable anyway about PSP backwards compatibility on PS4, probably not true because... Padapon 2 was already available digitally on PSP, so they would be backwards compatible in that in that reality that that alternate reality that we're not probably going to see. So this is kind of an interesting little nugget. Yeah. Apart from the game coming out, that if you read just between the lines, I think this says that those PSP rumors are are false, and I, I never really believed them anyway. Although I would love to be wrong there; that would be super cool. Are you a Padapon fan? I never actually played Padapon. Like, that was the one series on on
2: PSP. I didn't really have a lot of money by the time PSP came out. It was, like, 2005, 2006. I think think it was, like... Jesus Christ, it was, like, 12 or 13 or 14 or something like that. So, like, I had, I think, like, four games total for the PSP. It was Wipeout Pure. uh, I think it was Spider-Man 3? The game? I think? Maybe? I had, like, a Dragon Ball Z Shin Budokai game, and then I had... uh, Oh, my God. Are We There Yet? The
1: movie featuring Ice Cube. Oh, yeah. Like a UMD movie. <laughs> the, nice. Uh, the Universal Media Disc. Yeah, I couldn't... Uh, I still love... I mean, I, it's so funny to think back like when they thought that this was going to be a thing when people were publishing movies on UMD. It's kind of like the HD DVD era. Yeah. You just have all these random ass... It was around the same time. Movies. Yeah, it was. It was absolutely around the same time. It's exactly right. Yeah, the HD DVD attachment for the Xbox 360 was like... Seems so cool, and I kind of wanted HD DVD to work because more than Blu-ray because I liked the name more. Just seemed like more continuity. Yeah, but it, wasn't yeah. Me- it wasn't so. It wasn't so. <laughs> I remember I wanted it to do
2: better than Blu-ray just because I thought red was so much cooler of a color. But red just seems to be like a bad color for businesses for whatever reason. Like, do you remember Circuit City? Oh, of course. Circuit yeah, City's dead create? now, and Best Buy won that won that whole thing out. And Blu-ray, yeah, Blu-ray
1: beat HD DVD. Like Red is just cursed for some reason. It is, yeah. The Circuit City, I always liked the commercials because it was like the the front of the store was like a plug, and they yeah. would have that little animation of the of like the plug plugging in. Uh, Circuit City is where I bought my aforementioned uh, Xbox. Uh, yeah, on Long Island. I yeah. got
2: I got my PlayStation Two at Circuit City, and I got my Xbox on a military base.
1: Whoa! Yeah. No tax at a PX. Nice. Very cool. Uh, The last thing I bought at Circuit City was Endless Ocean on Wii. (laughs) True story. (laughs) It's a true story. I love that you know what you bought at Circuit City last. Well, I just remember because I, for some reason, got a Circuit City gift card. This was like, you know, 2007 or 2008. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do with this. So I went on Circuit City's website and I I was like, oh, I want to play Endless Ocean because it's like this really... I thought it was going to be a cool game, and it kind of sucks when you think about it. And it's like this whole game where you're just swimming around. I remember Mark Ryan, that the guy I used to work with at IGN, used to say it was like a, a like you just swim around and pet fish, which is true. <laughs> that's basically what you did. Uh, but yeah, that's the last thing I ever bought at Circuit City. So sad. It is. It is sad. Also uplifting, though. It's in a it's in a better place now. Number five, San Diego-based MMO studio Daybreak is splitting into three separate parts, according to a report on website Polygon the next chapter in the tumultuous history of the once Sony-owned studio, aptly called Sony Online Entertainment. Polygon notes that the three teams will each be so-called franchise studios, a fancy way of stating that the three devs will each have their own IP to oversee, similar to how Microsoft handles The Coalition 343 and Turn 10, with Gears of War, Halo, and Forza, respectively. Dimensional Inc. Games is taking over development of the long-running superhero MMO DC Universe Online, and will also be working on something new that's yet to be announced. Dark Paw Games will be taking over responsibility for the once-beloved MMORPG franchise EverQuest. Rogue Planet Games will be responsible for all things planet side. The Daybreak name will now be used as an overarching publisher moniker for all three studios and their respective games, and their entire focus will remain on MMOs. You'll notice the conspicuous absence of H1Z1 in that plan, though Daybreak Promises' support for that game will also continue. From 1997 until 2015, Daybreak was within Sony's family of studios, where it bounced between PS2 and PC with games like 1999's EverQuest, 2003's Planetside, and 2004's EverQuest 2. Remarkably, both EverQuest games are still active. In between a ton of one-off PSP games, PS3 games, and other ports came 2011's DC Universe Online, 2012's Planetside 2, and H1Z1, or as it's now known, Z1 Battle Royale, all of which are all still active. It's eagerly anticipated third EverQuest game EverQuest next once slated for both PC and PS4 was unceremoniously canceled in 2016. So I assume that that's going to be coming back in some form. I once lived with a guy. I think I might have talked about it on the show. We called him. I lived with three guys at one point named James when I lived in San Francisco. oh my And God. there was there was straight James, gay James and bi James. And that's how we kind of referred to them. So we knew who we were talking about. And gay <laughs> James was really, really into EverQuest 2. And he would come home from work. He worked at like some computer company and he would come home and he would just play EverQuest 2 all night. And he had this like phone, like a a landline where people would call in on like this meeting app and all talk to each other and just play until all hours of the night. And he was just so into it. And I'll, I'll just always associate EverQuest with that because EverQuest was kind of like waning at this time and uh these guys were just it's like you know like you meet people i mean it's not that uncommon because we know people like this that play Fortnite and stuff where it's like that's all they play yeah and this was all that dude played and i haven't talked to him in a long time he was a really sweet guy it's probably been about 10 or 11 years since i talked to him i'd actually be curious to see if he still plays everquest 2 yeah. the original everquest it would be days. interesting yeah yeah that's funny yeah he was a he was a nice man straight james uh was gave me my first fr- I was so poor when I went to San Francisco he like gave me like all this furniture which I had until I left Santa Monica it was like really like 80s like old furniture like he was an artist and it was like smattered in paint and shit like that and i was actually really <laughs> sad to throw it away because it was like a, a a memory of a different time like a more innocent time yeah for sure in the life of Colin Moriarty you know that's
2: f- that's <laughs> that's so funny that you designated people that way i feel like most people do that because like yeah. we have similar stories where like we had uh like I was, there were a lot of Chrises in my high school and like we would just, we would defer to them to like kind of nicknames. And I was like, uh, I can't remember, I was Chris Prime because I was the main one that everybody would talk to. And there was like, <laughs> there was a dark Chris who dressed in all black and he was like really sad all the time. And then there was one Chris that we couldn't f- decide a name for so we just called him Frank West.
0: And I'll, I'll always remember Frank
2: West. Dead
1: Rising's Frank West of course. He didn't look anything like Fr- uh, Frank West by the way, he was, he was black. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> all the more baffling. Interesting. You could, have, you could have called him in our naming scheme. He would have been Black Chris.
2: Yeah. Well, you know? he, we thought that was too,
1: uh, too potentially raunchy. <laughs> you know, it could have been. Yeah. Misconstrued. I, I, you know, I was um, when I moved into this house, I lived in Boston still. I had just graduated from college. And it, the I remember the I found him on Craigslist and the Craigslist ad said, you know, must be gay friendly. And I'm like, all right, that's fine. I'm gay friendly, of course. And. Then I was like kind of different, like they differentiated themselves like that. <laughs> otherwise, I wouldn't have been otherwise I wouldn't have been comfortable, you know, but like they, because someone would be like, oh, you know, did you see James left some food out? And I'm like, oh, which, which James? Oh, by James. Yeah. Oh, OK, cool. You know, I'm like, oh, OK. Yeah, hey, man, we're it, just gonna, what, what works, yeah. works. It works. It definitely worked. I can st- uh, By James didn't at the end didn't like me very much. No, oh, that's um, a shame. My ex-girlfriend, like my ex ex-girlfriend uh, lived with us for a little while and he was like a dick to her once and I had like, I kind, of, I kind of confronted him, you know, like a man would confront a man, yeah. you know, and I don't have many of those man confront man confrontations in my life. You know, those those moments where it's like, you don't fucking talk to her like that. Yeah. You know, kind of situation. You don't do it, man. <laughs> yeah. And that was the end of that. Never talked to him again. Number six, publisher Koei Tecmo and developer Team Ninja have briefly outlined its post-release plan for its upcoming sequel to Neo, aptly titled Neo 2. In a post on the PlayStation blog, the game's creative director states in part, quote, We have three major DLC releases planned, with each focusing on a different storyline that predates the events of Neo 2, promising hours of additional gameplay that will provide plenty of challenge for those thirsting for more. Similar to the original Neo, players can expect new weapons, new combat abilities, and new characters, with each DLC incorporating both multiple main and sub-missions, end quote. You will be able to buy these pieces of DLC individually, or as a whole as part of the game's season pass, which can be purchased separately, or as part of the digital deluxe edition. Neo Two comes exclusively to PlayStation Four on March thirteenth. I just read on—I um, follow a, a Twitter account, Benji Sales, really good Twitter account, kind of like sales analysis—and uh, apparently, seven hundred thousand people played the beta for Neo Two. This oh, game's wow. going to be. This game's going to be big. And I think that with the there's kind of a dearth of Dark Souls kind type game. Sekiro obviously came out about a year ago to the date. And Bloodborne's really old now at this point. So Bloodborne is like five years old now, which is incredible when you think about it. So I feel like people are hungry for a game like this. And with all the delays, you know, like Final Fantasy 7 has been bounced out of its way a little bit. Uh, Cyberpunk. The potential of something like Dying Light 2. So it's got room to breathe. I think Neo 2 is going to be a bigger game than some might expect. Yeah. So we will keep a close eye on that. I really want to play it, but I got to get through the first one. Dude, man,
2: I always get Team Ninja and Ninja Theory mixed up and it pisses me off. All these like studio names.
1: Yeah, I, I did the same thing. Actually, so a source of <laughs> a source of mine the, I went out to dinner with a few people like a night or two before E3 2018 and a source you know that is in the know is like oh microsoft is going to announce it bought all these studios and one of them's uh ninja theory and we had a conversation for like another hour about all these things and then i was like oh so like what do you think they're going to do with like ninja gaiden and and all of that kind of stuff and they're like no not team ninja ninja theory and i was like oh <laughs> that's way less interesting you know yeah but like, uh, like yeah, So
2: it, it, i don't know man yeah. do you think do you think, like, because a lot of these studios kind of have names, like it was, like, Team Ninja or, like, Ninja Theory. And then, like, maybe, like, five years down the line, they're like, ah, oh, man. It's kind of like you made a PSN name that you were, like, you thought was cool <laughs> at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and you just have to stick with it, even though every exec at Team Ninja is probably, like, some middle-aged dude in a suit who has to be like,
1: I work for Team Ninja. It's <laughs> is kind of funny. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I, I think about that, um... In some respect, with Naughty Dog, which I think is a horrible name for a studio, like a modern triple A, really serious cinematic games yeah. made by Naughty Dog. <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. Um, you know, Some of the some names in the in the uh, studio family really hold up. Though, like, I love the name Sucker Punch. I think that's an awesome name. Yeah, you, you got to like really you got to really think about it. Polyphony is another really good name. So um, you really got to be yeah. careful or I always I was team ninja (laughs) I was always a big fan of uh, pandemic in that in that regard too yeah another good good name name. yeah like visceral was even like not a very good name because they named it that for dead space so it's like uh you know I don't it's a that's fine it's kind of like a band name though at a certain certain point you just got to wear it with pride definitely yeah we're naughty dog like uh Colin's last stand was named you know it's kind of just no one really calls it that it's like CLS. I named it after the Moultrie flag, the Liberty flag, and the story surrounding that flag in, um, you know, American history. And I was talking about like a year or two ago, not even a year or two ago, it was like a year ago of rebranding. And everyone's like, but that's what you are now. You know, it's like, that's what you are. It's just CLS is what you are. Just that's the name of the company. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. That's true. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fine. That's really not a big deal. Yeah, no big deal. If we uh, open a dev studio or, you know, Lilymo is making twin breaker for us and we're going to make another game with them after this and uh, oh by the way I, i'm pretty much done with the script i submitted and rewrote the intro and all the collectibles holy shit there are so many so much text <laughs> that i wrote and i'm going to submit the trophy list this week we have a release date in mind which we'll be announcing in a couple weeks i think so that's exciting uh, pretty exciting there but uh yeah if we you know i think we'll just keep i want lily Mo to be like become our studio like the studio that just makes Games for Sacred Symbols, basically, or for Colin's Last Stand. And Lily Moe, I think, is named after his dog, after Barry's dog. So these things, who I think is named Lily. So uh, you just kind of have to roll with it. Yeah. Much better name than CLS, I think. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's see. Well, thanks, Chris. Uh, <laughs> number
0: se-
1: Number seven. Kingdom Hearts 3 has been a smash commercial hit for publisher-slash-developer Square Enix, so not surprisingly, the Japanese entity is doubling and tripling down on future games. you recall that there was only a three-year gap between the first two core Kingdom Hearts games, both on PlayStation 2, with the first launching in 2002, and the sequel in 2005. There was then an extraordinary 14-year... Uh, well, I put 14-year game. No, that's not what I meant. A 14-year distance between Kingdom Hearts 2 and Kingdom Hearts 3, however, with the latter having finally come out about a year ago in 2019. Perhaps you won't have to wait as long for Kingdom Hearts 4, even if there are a ton of other ancillary games in the franchise. Website Kamatsu reports on a Japanese Q&A with the dev team in which it's noted that in addition to the Kingdom Hearts 3 team and the so-called Kingdom Hearts Union team, two other teams have been constructed within Square Enix that will also be wholly dedicated to the Disney Square collaboration. One of those two teams will apparently have something to uh, show relatively soon to boot. And yes, the next core game is coming too. As the Q&A notes in part, quote, As for downloadable content, Remind is the first and last. We're already working on the next title, end quote. It only took two weeks for Kingdom Hearts 3 to sell 5 million copies, and it currently stands as the best-selling game in both the core and expanded series. Chris, I know you're really excited about that. There are now four internal studios at Square Enix working on Kingdom Hearts. Oh, my God. Makes you want to swallow a gun barrel, doesn't it?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I mean, good for them. They'll They'll get more Kingdom Hearts. I'm happy for you. I guess.
1: Yeah, whatever. Better news. Number number eight, so-called, <laughs> so-called country life RPG Stardew Valley has hit an impressive new sales milestone, according to the game's official website. The Harvest Moon-inspired title, which launched in early 2016 on PC and later came to both PS4 and Vita, as well as virtually every other mo- imaginable platform, has surpassed 10 million copies sold. An astounding feat for a game developed stem to stern by a single person, Eric Barone. Stardew Valley was around $15 a launch on both PC and console and has apparently been available for no cheaper than $8 on Steam, which is where it has undoubtedly sold most of its copies. The game was ported to PlayStation 4 in December of 2016 and later to Vita in May of 2018 and has found dedicated audiences on both platforms as well. Though older and less played versions like Vita have been essentially released and abandoned, versions like the PS4 iteration continue to receive updates, and Barone plans on keeping the updates flowing to the game for the foreseeable future. Uh, Many congratulations to this dude, because if you read about Eric Barone, it's really interesting. He basically worked on this for four years. I believe his girlfriend like supported him while he was making this game. And he is, uh, I would assume, has no less than 30, 40, 50 million dollars now. Yeah. So uh, many congratulations to him. And he was apparently eager to work on the next game and apparently has abandoned that and is now just going to keep updating Stardew Valley, which I think is really wise Really wise move. Just keep supporting this this game, and you can get to the next thing some other time. Yeah, it's your it's I mean, your bread he's, and butter.
2: He's pretty he's pretty much set. You know, <laughs> yeah,
1: I would <laughs> say so. <laughs> he's
2: I would say so. He's doing pretty good. So I mean, I Stardew Valley is definitely not a game that's you know to my taste necessarily, but uh, I I would be hard pressed to say that it wasn't at least somewhat great. If it's got that much acclaim and that many people love it and that many people play it, it's got to have something behind it. And that dude very clearly,
1: he deserves it. Yeah, I agree, man. I I put about 20 hours into it on Vita and it's really right at home on Vita. It's really awesome there. And I really liked it. I I just it's just so time consuming. It is one of those games that you just that's what you play. And that's the way Harvest Moon was, too, back in the day. Those are games you just have to or like Animal Crossing, like where these games just they really require quite a bit out of you. And I was just—I wasn't getting bored. I was just like, I gotta play other stuff. But my game is still sitting there, and unlike Animal Crossing or something, it's not gonna be like all dusty and cobweb filled to like remind me that I hadn't played it in forever, which I fucking hated about Animal Crossing. So, um, congratulations to him. And you know, he's ten million copies, dude. I'll shit my pants if if Twin Breakers sells ten thousand copies. So you know, ten million is is awesome. You know, I do have these thoughts though sometimes, Chris. I'm like, what if our game? You know, I looked at like the collectibles in the game and I rewrote the intro and it's like the stories, I think, really fun and really good, if I do say so myself. And uh, I'm like, what if this what if our game like sells 50,000 copies? What if our game like really finds an audience and people really love it? And um, it's probably not going to happen. I think that people I, I think it's going to be a really great game and people that find it are going to like it and our audience is going to play it and like it. But I, I was just thinking I kind of had like a fantasy, you know, I'm like, well, What if we sell hundreds of thousands of copies of this game? What if this game becomes like a a thing? I don't think it will, but who knows? But That would be really nice. It's really all about discoverability. I can tell you right now, our game is going to be way better than most of the shit released on PSN that I can. I promise. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, that's probably accurate. It's it's definitely accurate. Everyone needs to go just watch some of these trailers that are are uploaded to PlayStation's YouTube channel. We're going to (laughs) beat some of those games in the quality department. No doubt. Yeah, we're very lucky to have Barry because he's really, really good. All right, Chris, it's time for a wrap-up. Number nine, website Gamatsu reports that horror game Dawn of Fear is coming to PS4 on February 3rd, that puzzle game Seventh Sector is coming to PS4 on February 5th, that JRPG Azur Lane Crosswave is coming to PS4 on February 13th, and that Danganronpa-inspired mystery game Thief's Roulette, which looks fucking cool as shit, is coming to both PS4 and Vita at some point in the future. Gamatsu likewise notes that the once canceled Mortal Kombat collection online has reemerged in the form of a Peggy rating, noting that the apparently online enabled compilation of the first three Mortal Kombat games is en route to PS4. Push Square reports that Frictional Games' tease of their next horror game is continuing on their website, a tease we first reported on a week or two ago. It's an ARG thing, so you can go check that out if you want. Push Square also reports that Hidden Object game Hidden Through Time is coming to PS4 at some point in 2020, and that Mobile Suit Gundam vs. Maxi Boost On, which I know Chris is excited about, is coming to Western PS4s also at some point in 2020. Polish developer Bloober Team appears to be teasing a sequel to its 2017 horror game Observer. Is that what it was called, Observer? I don't think it was called that. Maybe it was. Via its social media channels. I should know this because I wrote the fucking document. Uh, though it's unclear what the game will, when the game will be fully revealed or released. And finally, Metro Exodus's second expansion pack, entitled Sam's Story, has a release date. It'll launch on PS4 on February 11th and is part of the game's season pass. Also, I saw that Atelier Riza, I know Chris loves Atelier games, <laughs> sold 350,000 copies. So... Big ups to Tecmo Koei, or Koei Tecmo, I should say. All right, Chris, there are a fucking lot of games this week. Ah. So with earnestness in our hearts and dedication in our minds, tradition dictates you go first.
2: All righty. Good Lord. Uh, Ark of the Alchemist. Comes to PS4. Quinn Bravesford and her squad are sent on a quest to find the great power, the key to save
1: humanity. Is there hope within the desert or is it merely a mirage? Autobahn Police Simulator 2 comes to PS4. Start your even more exciting career as law enforcer. As law enforcer. All right. On Europe's (laughs) fastest road now. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh no, your adventure begins right in the police station where colleagues are, pres- are present too. Over the course of the game, you can further develop the station and gain access to new opportunities and missions this way. <laughs> oh no, this is why I don't read them ahead of time because I want to start your even more exciting <laughs> career as law enforcer on Europe's fastest road now.
2: Oh my God. By
1: what? the way, I my, my parents went to like uh, Switzerland and Germany and shit for their honeymoon in the early 70s and they would talk about the Autobahn but uh, i i didn't know what they were talking about i was like the autobarn yeah what the fuck is the autobarn uh, oh autobahn i think with the autobahn was made by the nazis by the way so um that's not good yeah, yeah. Not,
2: not ideal <laughs> uh, bookbound brigade comes to ps4 what if all the protagonists of books lost their memory <laughs> <laughs> Venture into their world and beat the hell out of historical and literary characters you studied in school. Bookbound Brigade is a new take on the established Metroidvania genre where you get to lead a colorful bunch of real and fictional heroes. That actually sounds kind of neat. I like that premise. I, <laughs> yeah, I do too.
1: <laughs> what if all the protagonists of books yeah lost their memory? you know, books <laughs> <laughs> Code shifter comes to p s four. Over 100 characters appear in this absurd side-scrolling action game. New and somewhat nostalgic graphics that nicely blend flat and pixel art styles. A cheery comedy portraying everyday life in a video game company. Use the program Code Shifter to fix bugs. Will you have your game ready in time for the release date? I think this is an Arc System Works published game, but I could be wrong about that. I think we talked about it a few weeks ago.
2: Coffee Talk comes to PS4. Coffee Talk is a coffee brewing and heart-to-heart talking simulator about listening to fantasy-inspired modern people's problems and helping them by serving up a warm drink or two. Immerse yourself in the stories of alternative Seattle inhabitants
1: that modern readers will find stro- strongly echo the world around them. So this game sounds like a ripoff of Valhalla, which was a bartending oh, game. Oh, yeah. like where, which I loved. I played it on Vita. It was fucking awesome. I love that game. And um, this is like a pretty blatant ripoff of that. But I'm going to give it a go because I really liked Valhalla. Although th- Valhalla is getting a sequel. I wish I remember what it was called. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a nice idea. I guess there's now going to be like the Valhalla, the bar, the bar simulator. Yeah, uh, subgenre. All right. It came from space and at our and eight, our brains, it says I wrote at, but it's eight, our brains, a merciless that comes to PS4, a merciless alien species that feeds on human brains. Duh, has invaded the earth. Who can stand up to them? You obviously save the world or at least yourself. Send aliens to oblivion in this unique top down arcade shooter where hordes of enemies are trying to corner you and get inside your skull. Ooh.
2: Ooh. Journey to the Savage Planet comes to PS4. Welcome to the Pioneer Program. In this upbeat and colorful first-person adventure game, you play as the newest recruit to the Kindred Aerospace, which uh, proudly touts its rating as the fourth-best interstellar uh, (laughs) exploration company. Onward to
1: adventure. Good luck and mind the goo. Lots of reviews popping up for this thing, so someone's pushing it, but we'll see if it's any good. Yeah. Kentucky Route Zero TV edition comes to PS4. Kentucky Route Zero TV edition is a magical realist adventure game in five acts featuring a haunting electronic score and a suite of hymns and bluegrass standards recorded by the Bedquilt Ramblers. Originally published episodically over a span of years, the TV edition collects all five acts along with the interludes originally published separately. I'm actually really eager to play this, but this is another game that's just got to join the list. Yeah. So I have no time for it.
2: Uh, oh my God. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Kaidan, Kwa- Kaidan Azuma Manor story comes to PS4, seamlessly combining 3D action and point-and-click adventure. Kaidan uh, provides a nostalgic yet new experience. Explore an old Japanese manor and solve the clever puzzles set there, and fight against monsters called Yoki. I thought they were called yokai, but there's no A in this. Oh yeah, in this thing after whatever that's okay
1: no i mean i'm not i'm not making i'm not making fun of you it it, it says yoki (laughs) (laughs) load runner legacy comes to ps4 load runner the action puzzle masterpiece is back regain stolen gold from the enemies in the labyrinth play with your friends in local multiplayer mode create levels and characters and share with players all around the world i would also like to play that but there's just no time
2: uh mad age and this guy Comes to PS4. Mix of Bomberman and steampunk puzzle game with pixel art graphics and crazy piano music. Did I mention bombs and explosions? Yes, more fire, explosions, and bombs. Mad Age and This Guy is a dynamic arcade game that combines many elements from the best classic games you remember and love. All right. Never been a Bomberman fan. I got to be honest
1: with you. Never but, really. Liked it. Oh, I love Bomberman. It's so Just cute. Couldn't do it. It is cute. There's no doubt about that. Milo's quest comes to PS4 and Vita. Join Milo on his quest to lift a curse that brought back the evil king Old Skull. The young pupper Milo is enjoying his time in the park and sees a delicious bone to chew on. This bone is cursed and sets, the, f- sets free the evil king Old Skull. Now it's up to Milo to go on an adventure to stop the curse.
2: Music Racer comes to PS4. Music Racer is the dynamic rhythm game loved by millions of players around the world. Huh. It seems really presumptuous. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I,
1: I didn't. I did. I guess it's huge on PC or something. I don't is know. this like a? An, yeah.
2: Oh yeah. It might be an established thing already. <clears throat> Rush along futuristic neon tracks. Gather beats. Catch the rhythm. The racetrack is created in real time based on the game's music tracks. Get into the rhythm and collect as many points as possible. I'm a big fan of rhythm games in general, so
1: this sounds kind of neat. It's The racetrack is created in real time. I wonder if you can use like your own, like if you can connect it to Spotify or something, because that would be kind of cool if you can just do it with any music, like any song. Yeah, that'd be pretty wild. That'd be kind of cool. I was hoping you would get this one, but I got it. O-O-O Ascension. So it's a little lowercase O, capital O, lowercase O. Ascension comes to PS4. Glide your way through 90 uniquely challenging levels, racing against the clock in a test of skill, reflexes, and patience in this award-nominated indie arcade speedrunner. Glowing neon visuals and an electronic soundtrack make OOO Ascension an immersive experience. Why do you have to call your game that? Yeah, it's a really terrible terrible name. It's, yeah, it's horrible. <laughs> Good lord. Pillars
2: of Eternity 2: Deadfire Ultimate Edition comes to PS4. The god Eothis, awakened from his sleep, erupting from beneath your castle. <laughs> killing your people <laughs> killing your people and stealing a piece of your soul Unco- uncover the rogue god's uh, machinations i love that word yeah, as he tramples one. over the dead fire archipelago the award winning rpg from obsidian entertainment finally arrives featuring all major updates and expansions
1: um another I, I i don't know who published pillars of eternity i wonder if that's another xbox published port probably not pro deer hunting comes to ps4 hunt four different north american white tailed deer subspecies take your deer hunting to the next level stunning realism and graphics environment and hunting tactics allow you to test your skills and see if you have what it takes to become the next pro deer hunter every time i see one of these games it makes me want to go play that um avalanche developed hunting game that was supposed to be really good and that's in the apex engine uh, oh yeah i can't remember th- i can't remember the name of it but it was spo- it was actually supposed to be pretty good i've always wanted to play one of these games. Because there's like a whole subgenre of hunting games that I I don't I'm not familiar
2: with. Yeah, like Cabela's, like they're everywhere. Right, like it's it's really strange. I thought it was gonna be take your (laughs) I thought it was gonna be hunt four different North American white-tailed deer. Period. (laughs) <laughs> just like, just like, go kill four deer in this in that's this it. new video game.
1: Probably take you a long time to kill four deer in real life. So it's like a it's like a sixty hour open world game, but that's like your only task. Yeah, is to kill four deer.
2: It's like Breath of the Wild, except the four the four uh, the four
1: what is it? The four
2: divine beasts are just four deer separated on the corner of the maps. <laughs> just four poor deer, poor guys. <laughs> Saboteur comes to PS4. Saboteur is a classic retro game from. A retro game hit from 1985 now after 35 years sim fabric in collaboration with Clive Townsend <laughs> what has prepared a special remastered version of Saboteur for PS4 you can experience the original mission from the 1985 version and additionally the story will continue with
1: new levels and enemies i'm i actually looked into this a little bit it's like a ninja game but i i've never heard of it before yeah. um, which is a little surprising cuz i love me some ninjas but uh, yeah, not going to play it. Shadow the Ronin comes to PS4. Doki Ganryu. <laughs> Thank God you got oh this. Oh my God, I wish you got this one. A legendary samurai of ancient capital imperial. What? Was deprived and expelled from their lands and all your family killed by the orders of the emperor. After these events, he swore vengeance against his opponents until death. Thus begins a long and bloody battle in the Edo period. Okay. <laughs> I'm so glad you got that one. <laughs>
2: Sisters Royale, 5 Sisters Under Fire comes to PS4. The first new game in 12 years from Alpha System, uh the team that brought you the shoot 'em up classic the what, the shoot 'em up Castle of Oh my god, Shikigami 3 in the Castle of Shikigami series. Yeah. <laughs> I'm having a fucking breakdown. Five uniquely talented sisters are squabbling over which of them will marry the angel y- Yashin. Enjoy the heroic strategies of all five.
1: I hate oh these. <laughs> I'm glad Alpha System's back. Yeah, thanks. The Incredible... <laughs> the Incredible Adventures of Van Helsing 3 comes to PS4. Jump right into this unique action RPG and be legendary monster hunter. Oh, be a legendary monster hunter. That's actually not a spelling error. That's me. Van Helsing has already liberated the land of Borgovia from the tyranny of a mad scientist, then faced a military genius, but the future still looks grim. The city of weird science is in ruins, and a strange cult prophesizes the end times. Oh, sounds uplifting
2: yeah the inner friend comes to PS4 descend into an eerie world made of scattered memories and unresolved traumas and explore a nightmarish landscape where you will come face to face with your childhood fears and nightmares led by a mysterious shadow face fears and nightmares inhabiting its materialized subconscious universe
1: holy Jesus Christ uplifting oh my goodness <laughs> There's always one of these. Uh, yeah, definitely. Some, someone's always upset in one of these write-ups. No doubt about it. Throw anything comes to PS4. Get secret missions from secret delivery agency SDA and save the world from zombie hordes in the VR action game. Oh, so I guess this is PSVR. Throw anything there is throw it. A- Jesus, come on, man. There is nowhere to run and nowhere to hide as zombies climb up the walls hoping to satisfy their appetite for brains. Face off against starving zombies in high-rise buildings across the globe. By the way, if you can hear this, it's because I'm in my underwear. I'm slapping my knees. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. Top Run comes to
2: PS4. Top Run is an endless runner with platformer elements. Play as Kevin and his dog, Buddy, and make your way through the neon city full of dangerous enemies. It has everything we love. Neon, pixel art, a bit of outrun. What? Uh, (laughs) Like, outrun the game, I guess. Yeah, but it's uh, not not capitalized. Yeah, okay. Tiny piece of synthwave scan lines? VHS effects. What else would anyone want in a retro arcade game? Okay, so it's like going with a retro aesthetic. Okay. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that until literally the
1: end. (laughs) I could see that. (laughs) Vigilante Ranger comes to PSVR. Vigilante Ranger is an intense tower defense virtual reality game that will transport you to a dystopian future where the machines have taken control of the world, complete all the missions from the stages, and defeat all of the menacing bosses to become the savior of humanity. Oh my god. Willy Jetman Astro Monkey's Revenge
2: comes to PS4. Willy Jetman Astro Monkey's Revenge is an arcade shooter full to the brim with action and shooting. (laughs) Inspired. <laughs> God damn! It. Inspired by uh, the console classics of the '90s, a mysterious accident causes an environmental disaster on a faraway planet. But don't worry, here's Willie, a friendly street sweeper who somehow gets wrapped up in the biggest space adventure ever told.
1: See if they just got rid of the first sentence. And started with a mysterious accident causes an environmental disaster on a faraway planet. But don't worry, here's Willie. Yeah. A friendly street sweep. That would have been great. Yeah. That would have been much better. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. A- God, I can't wait for everyone to rip our shit apart. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. Just was counting to make sure I was right. Chris, as tradition dictates, we always end our show with six questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, and ideas submitted to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand. Thank you to the nearly 8,000 of you that support us over there and support our show. The Internet's most beloved PlayStation podcast. Mm-hmm. Corey Taller wrote in. Here's what he has to say. Hey there, Capacious Capacious Chris. I'm so used to going first. And Capricious Colin. I've been listening to your content for well over a year now, but just started subbing about six months ago or so. And man, what great content you guys put out. Thank you so much, Corey. It's a delightful addition for my somewhat monotonous day. Anywho, being a newer listener, I hear you mention almost every episode on how much Sony or various other publications hate you and your channel. Can you go into any more detail on this? Maybe on behalf of the newer listeners that have recently jumped on this extravagant, blissful, somewhat brain-sick train ride you guys call the Sacred Symbols Podcast. I just don't understand how or why they they may not like you guys. Regardless, just wanted to shoot you some encouragement, although I'm sure you don't need it. Remember this, boys. Don't worry about those that talk behind your back. They're behind you for a reason. Oh, by the way, Seinfeld Master Race all the fucking way. Love the content. Thank you, Corey. We appreciate you. So the reason I wanted to use this, Chris, was because actually we got like three of these this week. Yeah. So I just chose one. So we bring it up often because it's funny to us at this point. We don't. Really, <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not really affecting. As you can see, the show is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. The more ignored we are, uh, and the more reviled we are in corners of the internet. But the re- the reality is, is that and and this is just me being serious. I really don't know why we're disliked by Sony in particular, but by other publishers as well. I'm like a moderate conservative, which is like way outside the bounds in the gaming industry. Chris is a liberal. So, so the politics of the, of us as individuals might rub some people the wrong way, but I think it's really a story of a runaway train. And this is why like internet defamation I think is so serious and why. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, this is a random thing to bring up, but like the Nick Sandman thing with the Washington post and the CNN and stuff where the kid with the MAGA hat was in Washington, DC and, there was like a uh, pro-life rally and people probably know the story, but a lot of CNN reporters and, you know, not just CNN, but a lot of reporters and stuff online were just defaming this kid saying that he did things and said things or whatever that he didn't do. And he sued them and actually settled recently with CNN. So he's likely a millionaire now. And I was really pleased to see that not because of his politics, but because like this shit's kind of serious because people hear something about you and then it just runs away. Right. And, I see this with Chris actually pretty often. I I read around and see things that are said about Chris that are just completely not true. And obviously I see things said about me that are not true as well. And so these things kind of congeal into a situation where it just becomes true and then to these people and then it kind of spreads in that way. And obviously we, we talked about this with Metro Exodus in particular when it came out almost a year ago when we were just ignored about that game that it's clearly that people are just kind of colluding with each other to keep keep our access out in most ways. There are companies that still deal with us. Koei Tecmo, Namco Bandai, Square Enix. So it's not like, it's not everybody. And lots of indie companies want to deal with us too. But it is unfortunate that Sony doesn't want to work with us, that Ubisoft, which is a company I really like, doesn't want to work with us, uh, et cetera. And I really think it's just about perception, unfortunately, but perception becomes reality. And so that's why it's relevant to us. But we really don't need this access because the show is like traffic is up 22% month over month. The Patreon is up substantially month over month. People, I think actually, Chris, like our outsider perspective and our forced outsider perspective. And the more that we're kept on the outside, I think the better we're going to do. So it's not really a huge problem for us, but it really is unfortunate. And we did get a letter, I didn't include it here, Chris, but someone said like, why do we support Sony so much? And, and play their games and do a podcast about them if they don't even want to acknowledge us. And I'm like, well, I'm not. I'm not Sony's PR agency. I'm not Sony's marketer. I mean, if I like a game, I'm going to like it. If I don't like a game, I'm not going to like it. I love PlayStation and I love PlayStation as a brand. I love their hardware. I love most of their games that they release. And whether we have access or not, we're always going to give you our honest opinions about what we think. And um, I think just having an outsider's perspective, a forced outsider's perspective, we spend our own money on games. We're right there with you playing it at the same time. Yeah. I think these things are kind of valuable. And so I have no personal problem with it. It kind of bothered me and hurt me in the beginning because I'm like, what the fuck? But we can't control it. All we can control is our output and the quality of our show. And I think our show is awesome to be perfectly honest. So, yeah. So we yeah. so what do you think, Chris? Do you have anything to say about this or, I mean, it would, if I went, it would just be redundant. I think I agree yeah. with pretty much everything you said. Fair enough. Yeah, did want to acknowledge it though. I know some people are tired of hearing about it. We don't bring it up in earnestness. We bring it up usually to make fun of ourselves or make fun of the situation. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just give us a break. People, I mean, scene. people got to be caught up on the lore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I get that. It's so funny because I just make this assumption that everyone's been with us since the beginning, but the numbers show that that's definitely not true. So we do have to update each other or uh, each other. <laughs> we have to have to update everyone every so often. And uh, we obviously appreciate your continued support. I think our show differentiates itself for many reasons, but I think that that's one of those reasons. And um, yeah. again, we do appreciate all the publishers that do work with us. We still hear from many of them, especially the Japanese publishers. Maybe it's because we we talk about their games <laughs> and others don't. <laughs> Cameron O'Neill wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, with the recent rumor and report that the Cyberpunk 2077 delay was due to base console skew performance. Do you think the cross generational game situation is going to be more difficult than we might have thought? Everyone just assumed developers would be able to develop a one skew game for basically six console skews, which in hindsight might be more difficult than ever. This is an interesting question, Chris. What do you? You're a little more technically uh, proficient than I am. What do you think of this? Because the rumor is that Cyberpunk, and I don't know if it's true, but Cyberpunk is having problems running on PS4 and Xbox One. Yeah. Maybe not necessarily the pro. Maybe not necessarily whatever. But um. What came to mind for me with this was that I feel I, I said this in the past and people got mad at me on Twitter, but the, the one console that's going to be fucked into oblivion on this is is Switch, because nothing is going to run on Switch now that's going into the next generation.
2: But what do you think? Yeah, that that is true. I, but I guess it's going to be complicated because this game is going to be launching and presumably running at least halfway decently on Xbox One X and PS4 Pro but it's not going to be doing so well on the original base PS4 and the base Xbox One, and especially the base Xbox One, which was, you know, not quite as powerful as the base PS4, although not not by a huge amount. I think, I don't know, man, I think this is really all developer skill, because as far as I know, and I could be wrong on this, uh, I haven't really looked it up because I remember hearing I remember hearing it once and it wasn't that important to me because I knew that it wasn't the main way that I was going to play it, but I, I believe that Doom Eternal is launching on the Switch. So this really does have a lot to do with just, you know, developers maybe not keeping things in mind. I don't even necessarily think that an older skew of a console is going to hold games back necessarily. Because even in the PC space where the whole argument is, hey, you don't have to upgrade your shit and you can play shit for a long time. You know, assuming that games were built for just the highest end PCs, no one would be able to play those games. And they ha- there has to be some way to scale those things back or uh, compromise for PCs or rigs that aren't quite as up to spec as some of the more modern people with RTX twenty eighty TIs in their computers or modern i nines. There's a lot of concessions to be made, but I think it just has to do with developer planning and and developer skill. And I think maybe. You know, maybe CD Projekt Red just didn't really think about the previous gen of hardware or the earliest uh, the earliest incarnation of the current gen because they were so focused on delivering such a next gen experience for the current gen consoles. So I I think, you know, I I think it's a case by case basis. I wouldn't be too worried about this. I think it really just has to do with focus. And I doubt that this was one of their main focuses on getting things to run on (laughs) the original Xbox One.
1: Yeah. I mean, going back to the PS4 Pro's launch in 2016, this was one of the things that I was actually afraid was going to start happening. And it actually really didn't play out very much. If if it starts playing out now, it's kind of a good time for it to play out because it's almost over at this point. And we assume, I I have to say again, we're assuming this is the problem. These are the rumors that this is what the problem is. And it seems plausible to me simply because of the nature of the delay and the substantial delay that's happening. It's not... Uh, Final Fantasy VII's five-week polishing delay. It's a five-month delay. And that was announced pretty late. And so it seems like something's wrong. Yeah. And because they said the game's playable front to back. So the game's content complete. It's probably been through lots of QA and the writing's done and the voice acting's done and everything's done. It's just they really got to, you know, make the game run better. And that, that seems like a likely scenario. But if I'm a manufacturer of a piece of hardware... I feel like this is actually not a bad thing. You don't necessarily want to say this in a front-facing way, and in fact you certainly don't, but this game's coming out so close now, as you said, to PS5 and the series uh, series, what is it? Series X? Yeah. I always want to say Series S. Series X that they might be like, well, just can play it over here, you know. It's not like the watchdog situation or Assassin's Creed or something where they were just available in pretty much the same way on PS3 and PS4. There does seem to be a more market jump here. That's really going to change the game, so to speak, pardon the pun. And so pushing it this far might not only buy them more time, but might actually allow them to put it on the new console more quickly, again, with backwards compatibility. And I got to say, out of all the games that were delayed, including the Avengers and some of these others, I think Cyberpunk might get delayed again. And I wonder if that will happen. They can't push it off the off PS4 and Xbox One completely because that's going to drive people into a fucking tizzy. But I wonder if this is actually going to be enough time for them to do what they need to do. Yeah. Because this seems to be all technical now. And like we said last week, CD Projekt has a lot riding on this game. There's a lot riding on this game. They are an incredibly well-respected studio, much like uh, Techland. We always talk about Techland really coming into their own with Dying Light. And they have a lot to prove with Dying Light 2, which has been indefinitely delayed. CD Projekt has to really retain its its status let's say as it's just kind of put its boot on the neck of other western role-playing game developers it can really fuck itself up by not making sure this game's perfect so that might also have something to do with it as well but i'll just reiterate you know i'd be interested to know about doom eternal like is it running on switch at 60 frames and probably not 1080p and all that yeah so and it seems like id and um their engine their proprietary engine id tech seems to scale much better. So that might also have something to do with it too, about like an, an engine by engine basis, how they're able to handle these things as well. But I will reiterate that I think Switch is going to be um shit out of luck this time next year with a lot of ports, unless they release a more powerful Switch, which is rumored to happen. So we'll see what happens. But this is not a Nintendo podcast.
2: Yeah, for sure. I, I think you're right. But but also I think it's also pertinent to say, like, listen, man, it's it's 2020. If you're still <laughs> if you're still rocking a base Xbox 1 or a base PS4. I don't know I, I don't know how you can't expect to have games run well on that thing. That it's it's 7 years old. There are phones out now that are like 3 times stronger than that machine. And yeah, that, that's yeah, that's true. That's, that's just you know that's just part of it. You know, like I, I don't know if anybody could really buy Cyberpunk for the original Xbox One, have it perform badly, because let me tell you, it will. Even if they fix it, it will. Control barely ran on the PS4 Pro, so Cyberpunk is definitely not running well on the on the base Xbox One. And and I, I don't know if you can really... I don't know if, if you're knowledgeable about the space, and if you're, like, you know, if you take part in the discussions in, like, gaming media and, like, what's happening, I don't really know if you can really be that upset. This is just how these things go.
1: Yeah, this is again, you're I think you're right. But it's also, again, what I, I just I feared this, you know, because there was nothing like this with PS3, like the same PS3 that ran Uncharted Drake's Fortune in 2007 ran The Last of Us in 2013. And even if you had a fat PS3 and then a PS3 George Foreman grill later on, so the third iteration of PS3, they were basically the same machines. And yeah. I just felt in my heart, like, and people got so mad at me, man. This is when I was on PS, I love you, when this was happening with PS4 Pro. Where I'm like, I just think this is a mistake because this is gonna start fracturing things, but I thought it was gonna happen more immediately. And like you said, Control and other games started to be kind of the tip of the spear with this stuff. But I'm with you entirely that I think that you have to have some sort of expectation with the kind of exponential advancements in technology that stuff just can't hang around like it used to. Because I used to talk about with the NES, if you count the, the Famicom, like the NES was around for like 11 years and Mega Man 1 in 87 and Mega Man 6 in 94 look like they run on different hardware, basically. You start to kind of master these things and the music's much more robust and the parallax scrolling and... All these amazing things are going on. But I I fear that this is going to be a problem towards the end of this generation. And I feel like Sony might look at this as an unintentional boon to PS5 because people they'll just be able, well, just come to PS5 then. And this is this is kind of the unfortunate thing, too, is that we know PS5 is going to be backwards compatible, at least with PS4. So if you're in that if you're in between a rock and a hard place now where you're still rocking an original PS4 or a PS4 Slim, you might as well just wait until the PS5 comes out and buy it, but then you're going to have to wait to play some of these games at their highest fidelity, and that kind of sucks. So, you know, I feel... And I say this, by the way, as a PS... I I talk so much shit about the PS4 Pro and then I bought one. So, you know, don't listen to me. Jorge Palomino wrote in and said, Hey, C-Squared, what are your thoughts on Sony possibly acquiring Kojima Productions and the first game being a PS5-exclusive horror game? Do you think this could get... Lead to a Metal Gear Solid remake with Sony buying the franchise from Konami, or maybe they could set up an agreement to allow to allow Kojima to take on his remake and have Konami just make some cash. I think it could benefit from the same kind of treatment Final Fantasy VII is getting with its upcoming remake. Much love to you, gents, and keep twin breaking. We will, Jorge. Thank you for writing into us. So there is a rumor percolating right now, Chris, that Kojima is making a horror game. This isn't a huge surprise, considering. The cancellation of Silent Hills, which yeah. led in, in, to Death Stranding. And I think Death Stranding is a horror game. So in my mind, I think that it's definitely a horror game. So I wouldn't be surprised by this. I don't know if Sony will buy Kojima Productions, and I'm not really sure it's a huge or I'm sorry, a good idea, because for as much as we like Death Stranding and Death Stranding was well received in our community and and whatnot, it didn't sell that well. Mm-hmm. And. I don't know that Kojima is the wisest investment they can make. I mean, it's not like uh, Insomniac was like a really wise investment in my mind. Like that was a really smart thing to do. And there are other studios out there that I think would be really smart to buy, like Techland, I think would be a really smart studio to buy. Yeah. CD Projekt is probably way too expensive, but that's another studio that you'd want to buy. But I just don't know that I look at Kojima Productions after one game and I'm like, we want to wrap this guy up based on Death Stranding because I I like Death Stranding a lot, but I think it could have used more time in the pot, first of all. And uh, it, again, it didn't sell very well. So what do you think? What, what do you want from Kojima? Should he join Sony? Uh, should Sony chase him? What do you think?
2: I don't know. I, th- I think you're I think you're right in some ways. I, th- I think I it's important to figure out like what Kojima even wants to do because there's been a lot of debate as to like what he even wants to do. and like I know he talks about TV a lot and wanting to do like movies. So in that regard, I don't necessarily think that investing in his studio is the smartest thing when he himself is so, you know, I don't want to say aloof, but he just sort of does what he wants, which is good if you know that he's going to make a game, but might not be so good if you buy him and then he's like, I want to make a movie. It's like, okay, well, that's not what we bought you for, but he's he's probably going to make that movie anyway. So... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you know, you're, you're, yeah, you're right, you're right. Go on. Yeah, so it's, I don't know, it, it is tricky. I would love to see a horror game from him personally, just because si- Silent Hills was just so, so good. Even just from the demo that we got, which is people are still playing and still dissecting and finding new shit in to this day. And I, I don't even know; it's been like five years at this point, probably four years, maybe minimum. I, I don't remember when PT came out. Yeah, I look. But it's been it's it's been a minute and people are still finding incredible things about that game and finding hints that were like in the code that players didn't even realize and were there until super recently. And if he if he can bring that level of attention to to detail to a horror game that doesn't necessarily have the Silent Hills moniker or IP behind it, I think that's even more exciting because it doesn't have to fall into any trappings of nostalgia or any kind of, you know, uh, brand loyalty to what a Silent Hills game is supposed to be. Just the idea of seeing Kojima
1: do a horror game completely free from any tethers would be amazing. I agree. I mean, I would I would love that, too. And, and just so you know, August 12th, 2014. So it's been um, that's crazy. Five and a half years. So I'm with you in the sense that Kojima clearly wants to do other things. And you make a really great point that if you're buying Kojima productions for Kojima's mind and then his mind is distracted with other shit then you're not really buying the studio you want. You're buying his team. And remember that his longtime producer recently left. And so if he's distracted with other things, then that's a problem. But what would be really interesting, we were talking about PlayStation Productions earlier in this, you know, in Purgatory, Uncharted movie. It would be interesting in my mind if if they were like, we want to buy Kojima Productions and Kojima Productions is going to be both part of Worldwide Studios and part of PlayStation Productions. And he's going to make movies and he's going to make games. That might be an interesting thing to do. But again, I just, I don't know that you, I would like, I want to see one more game out of Kojima and it would be, I would love to see Sony make, have a second party relationship with again, him again, give him his money. By the way, we're also assuming that Kojima productions is for sale and it might not be. I'm sure that many people came and tried to buy him or tried to get him on board. I think that's why Sony wrapped him up so quickly because I think that they realized that even if there was nothing there yet, I mean, this, this happened like in mo- months after he left Konami. So there was no game and uh, they still signed him. And I think that was really smart. So let's see. I don't Death Stranding doesn't need a sequel. Leave it alone. But let's see if we can get a horror game from Kojima Productions exclusive to PlayStation from the second party. And then if they like what they see, then maybe you make the purchase. As far as what Jorge is saying about uh, Konami and Metal Gear, I mean, there's no way Konami is yeah. letting go of Metal Gear. I, I think they have every intention of making Metal Gear Solid 6, and I think they have every intention of making this thing work in some way. I would love to see, this is another example where I'd love to be wrong, Chris, because I'd love to see them let it go and let it go back to Kojima, but what's exciting about him not having access to Metal Gear anymore is that he has to do something else. It's not that that's all he did, because he did Zone of the Enders and other shit too, but... yeah it's just exciting that like, you know, like let's break out of Metal Gear. It's kind of like obtuse and weird now. And it's always been weird, but it's like, it's not even really Metal Gear anymore. That's why I didn't like Phantom Pain. I just didn't feel like it was even a Metal Gear game. It felt like just, it felt very generic in my mind. I know that a lot of people have problems with me saying that, but Metal Gear was so unique and so interesting. And the first hour of Metal Gear Solid Five is awesome. But after that, I was like, I don't, I don't like this very much. So (laughs) You know, like when you're in the hospital breaking out, I'm like, "This is fucking great. This is awesome." That's I wish the whole game was like this. That's so fucking interesting.
2: Because I hated that part. I hated it. Really? That is interesting. That was that was the part I couldn't stand. And those are the parts that I couldn't stand about Death Stranding too. The parts where like it was just like the game changed, and I had to like go like I had to play a movie for a couple minutes. You don't want to play those movies. The second that game opens up, the second that game opens up, and you can put decoys of yourself all over a car and drive it into (laughs) it's just it gets it just gets I think that game is genuinely like from a sandbox level kind of like actually better than Breath of the Wild like actually from a sandbox and like purely like what you can do in the game level but uh, uh,
1: yeah, that's gonna be controversial. But I don't know that I necessarily disagree with you there.
2: But I know what you mean. I I think uh, I I kind of agree with the idea that it's it's kind of exciting that he has to do something else now because I feel like for a while it was just him getting roped back into doing Metal Gear even if he kind of didn't care to because I feel like he was always like this is the last one and then like Konami was like no please and then he was like ah, all right uh, here's uh <laughs> here's uh Raiden doing naked cartwheels. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and he's like, what? Yeah, it, it, I think I think that that's where a lot of the the shit with him and Konami stemmed from. Not only that, but that Metal Gear Solid Five took so long that they released that you know that interstitial yeah version of the game, and I I just think it soured. I I think I think the more you do something like in a franchise as beloved as Metal Gear, the 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 more the pressures ratcheted it up too, and it's probably really difficult to work under those that environment. When we talk about that with Last of Us too, like I can't even imagine the pressure at that studio to deliver, you know, and the, the pressure just wouldn't be as high. It would always be high because of the pedigree of the studio, but I don't think it would be as high if they released something else. So for me, my take, Sony should acquire another license with him, another game through the second party, have him make a horror game this time and see what happens from there and let Kojima be Kojima because I think that's, when he's strongest. And I got to say, I was kind of impressed with Death Stranding uh, considering how quickly it was made. I just did not expect it yeah. to be that good. I didn't. I just didn't. Now, again, we said a lot of different things about it. And I think it's true. There's like almost no enemy and enemies in it. It's just a map. You know, it's it, like with very little interaction going on. There's very, there are just a lot of cutscenes, So you can see the corners they cut, obviously. But also remember that they made this game in a proprietary Sony engine Decima and they're comfortable there now. And so that might be another way to ho- loop them in yeah. and keep them. You know, because they make they only work on these proprietary engines. So it's not like he's going to be able to easily go to like Unreal or something like that now. So. Yeah, for sure. We'll keep an eye on him. We'll keep an eye on that Kojima, that wily son of a bitch. <laughs> All right. All right. Angel de Jesus. Do you think it's Angel de Jesus or De Jesus? I like uh, I like De Jesus. You don't fuck with De Jesus. <laughs> yeah. How many times do you think he said probably how many times do you think people have said that to him oh, he, so many times you don't fuck with the Jesus. <laughs> I love that shot of Jesus in Lebowski where he's just cleaning the ball yeah and it's like, <laughs> him and whatever that white guy is that he's with. I can't remember his name Hello boogie down Chris and short Island Colin. I don't know what that means my question is where is the news on the next dark pictures anthology game? They said they were to release the next game in six months. Well, six months is almost up and there has been not a word. Have you guys heard anything through The Grapevine? Man of Medan wasn't quite up to what Until Dawn was, but I still enjoyed it. I am anxiously awaiting the next game and with all these delays, now would be a great time for it. This is a good question. Did you ever get around to playing Man of Medan? I
2: played a little bit of it with a friend of mine and wasn't too wasn't too into it. But in fairness to to the game... Until Dawn was also one of those things where I was like, this is good. This is, this is good. But I didn't really think about it much after I played it. So I think that, that narrative-heavy kind of game design is just not necessarily my cup of tea. But I definitely felt that Man of Badon was kind of worse. Like, it definitely didn't feel as engaging. The characters felt a little, a little bizarre. But I don't know, man. It is weird that it's, they've just been silent. Especially because, yeah, this would have been a perfect time. To put it out, because <laughs> like all these games are just randomly pushed away.
1: Yeah, it's it is true. I mean, yeah, they, it, it's serendipitous if they were ready to go because it's it's perfect. It's also, I think, a $40 game. So it also has that nice price point. Uh, so a few things to keep in mind, Man of Medan sold really well. And that might actually have something to do with why this is taking long, uh, longer than we had anticipated. The dark pictures is this anthology of smaller horror games by Supermassive, the British studio that did Until Dawn, which is one of the great PlayStation 4 exclusives, in my opinion. And the next one is called Little Hope. And we haven't seen anything about it since like August and September. They talked about it a little bit. They released a trailer, I think. And so I think it's still on pace for some sort of 2020 release date. But I think that the sales of Man of Medan, combined with its somewhat lukewarm commercial or critical reception, Chris might have had bandai namco the publisher of the game and the series go back to them and be like let's spend a little more time and get this right because we have already hooked people in people are buying this game and they you know people that have bought it liked it the critics didn't like it quite as much but we have something here so let's take a little more time let's spend a little more money i feel like that's probably why it's gone a little silent but i think we're also overestimating how long they've been silent i mean it's only been like four or five months since they've talked about it so uh, I would expect to see it in Q2, Q3, something like that. It would really be a great Halloween game. That's what I thought about until dawn. Uh, but I don't know if they're going to wait that long. But it's called Little Hope. If you guys want to go look into it, there is a teaser out there for it right now. But I wouldn't really be surprised if it had something to do with the game. Man of Medan, remember, Man of Medan outsold control substantially. Yeah. So, you know, Supermassive is on to something here. Usheen Doyle, and I only know that because he wrote in. He said it pronounced like Usheen. Are you sure that's how you say you say your name? Because it's O I S I N. Fucking Irish people are crazy. I'm telling you. I I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna bother with this. What's the crake, my dudes? What's that mean, Chris? You're young. What does that mean?
2: Crake? I don't know. That sounds no. like something only an Usheen would know.
1: Oh. Greetings from Ireland. I'm a long, long time listener, and I have finally scraped together the dreaded two euros a month donation that has eluded me for many years. Use the little euro sign, a little cute E with the little lines through. it. My question to you is regarding character design and gaming. Character design is such an important aspect within the art design of a game, yet I feel like it sometimes goes unrecognized within the fan base and sometimes in game studios. When an artist absolutely nails the design of a game's protagonist, antagonist, or creatures, you can instantly recognize what they're all about while also being captivated and curious to learn more. Games like Super Mario get almost everything right with absolutely iconic and simplistic designs, from Mario himself to Bowser to the humble Toad. I find that modern games can often leave something to be desired when it comes to unique and iconic character designs. Games like Days Gone or The Division are obviously grounded in a more gritty and realistic world, but I still think sometimes their characters can look a little bland. What do you think? What games have the best character art design that immediately pique your interest and remain iconic long after you finish the game? Love from Ireland. (laughs) Chris, this is a really good point, because I think that the more realistic we get, and we've discussed this in the past in other regards, but the more realistic a game gets, I just think that the kind of the less inspired character design becomes because we talked about the last of us, as much as we love Joel and Ellie and I love the way they look, I love the characters, I love the voice acting, I love the writing. I'm not so sure that there's like a lot of inspiration in the way that like Joel looks, Joel kind of sort of looks like Troy Baker, you know? Yeah. Ellie kind of looks like Ashley Johnson. So there's also like, because of the mocap, less of a reliance on like pure art and i love that he brought up super mario brothers because he's absolutely right if you think about like bullet bill and the chain chomp and the piranha plant and dry bones and all they're awesome they're awesome designs they're all awesome designs or even yeah. if you think about some of the later characters like the more human like uh, luna whatever her name or no luna's the star the little the princess from galaxy i can't remember her name yeah uh, rosalina so, like, they're all amazing character designs, and I think that a lot of it has to do with its more cartoonishness, so, like, if you're, that's why anime is so interesting, even though I don't watch a lot of it, and a lot of it does look the same, but, like, I'm playing Dragon Quest Eleven, and, like, some of the designs are so cool, because it, they, they have big-ass eyes and little mouths, and... These weird proportions and the monsters are crazy. Like, I think the most iconic JRPG character to me is a slime from Dragon Quest. I love that design. Yeah. And that goes all the way back to Dragon Quest from the mid 80s. So what do you think about this whole thing that Ushin Doyle wrote it? What a fucking Irish name, Ushin Doyle. What do you think about what he says here, Chris?
2: Yeah, no, I think he's right. I think I think art design is a huge, a huge thing for me. And I've gone... I've gone on no shortage of tangents about how important art design is to me as a, as a as a person who plays games and as a person who just has like a an appreciation for that kind of art. I th- but I think the lack of inspiration in character design, you don't have to go that far back to find great character design. I think this new kind of problem of over-reliance on realism, I feel like this is relatively recent. I think this actually started somewhat in the middle of of this generation, because even even in the last generation with the Xbox 360 and PS3, I th- you had some really amazing, like iconic designs. You had like the Big Daddy from Bioshock, who's like incredibly designed. Uh, the Psycho from Borderlands is remarkably well designed, and you could just tell everything about that character from just the way he looks. Pretty much everything about Portal is super well designed. One of the main things I love about Halo, even to this day, is that it's it's just a dude with a motocross helmet. And it's just simple, and it looks cool. There's a there's a lot, and actually, ironically enough, as much as this is a, this is indeed like a realism problem, and as much as games like The Last of Us and Days Gone, and you know some of these gritty open world, super dark, real stories do have kind of you know less than inspiring character design, I actually think Death Stranding has incredible. Character design, like just the way, even though Norman Reedus's face is just Norman Reedus, like that character design of that that Bridges suit and like the, the the backpack and the baby in front is like that's super well designed and that's really iconic and 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 fragile with her suit and like Die Hardman, those are all super super well designed characters and that is a game that really really heavily relies on 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 realism. So I I think. I, I wouldn't blame, uh, I wouldn't blame the lack of inspiration necessarily on just the over reliance on realism or mocap or anything else. I, I think the strength of a character's design is all in the people who design them, and you can totally make realism work. Uh, something doesn't have to be like a two D sprite or a cartoon or a JRPG just to be just to be really well designed and super iconic.
1: Yeah, well, very well said. And I, you, Death Stranding is a great example. I'm glad you brought that up because. I love the design of Higgs so much in that game, uh, who was played by Troy Baker. I just wish that it made like more sense why he was designed this way with his, he had like guy liner on and his like Egyptian cape. And yeah, <laughs> I, I fucking loved it. I thought it was awesome. It was so cool. He was, you're, you're absolutely right there. He was a great character. But uh, the reason I love camp so much in my character design is because I feel like there's a lot more to get excited and interested about there. I, uh, the reason I love Mega Man so much are because of the bad guys the the robot masters as they're called they're fucking awesome yeah and they're ridiculous they're totally ridiculous you know some of them are absolutely outrageous some of them are like really cool and gritty and realistic but a lot of them are nuts like dustman has like a big vacuum cleaner on his head right yeah shadow man has like a big ninja star on his head and air man has like a fan in his chest but i fucking love those designs i think they're so cool like i love love new Mega Man games because it's so exciting to see what the bosses are going to look like and um it's the same reason why i love gi joe so much because of the bad guys mostly the cobra because they're like ridiculous they're just absolutely ridiculous, <laughs> they're ridiculous oh, sure, characters. Yeah. <laughs> and and so i i do love that and castlevania is and you brought up we brought up castlevania a little bit earlier but the design in castlevania is something really nice because it's like victorian and kind of realistic and vampiric obviously but also a little bit grounded and a little bit fantastic and draws from like mythology and all these kinds of things and Lovecraft or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, the character design, I think, goes further these days in a way, Chris, like you said, because like Big Daddy is a great example. Like what an iconic design, even though the world of Rapture is uh, supposed to be somewhat grounded. But I also think the design comes a lot from the environments as well. Mm -hmm. And that's not something we really got too much of back in the day. That's why I think Castlevania was so special for so long, because it was one of the few games where the environment like the castle or the surroundings of the castle were, were the characters themselves. So
2: Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree. I, I I just think the I, I think we we go a little bit further back than we need to when we when we think about like how great design used to be. I, I really do think like the three sixty PS3 era was just full of great sh- Dead Space. The Ishimura is such a great location and Isaac is is a super well designed character too even though he's just a dude another dude in a suit I swear to god dudes in suits just work super well for like iconographic imagery the fact that his health is like on his spine and just the plasma cutter is just so uniquely dead space you know portal was last generation and you have to literally if you ever put a portal in anything you do you actually straight up have to go out of your way to avoid using blue and orange because people will immediately recognize it as Portal, right? And right. it's just it's just kind of, you know, I, I do think it's a it's a more recent problem, and I do think there are still standouts in in modern games. I think Aloy is pretty, pretty well designed too. Yeah, I I don't know, man. Character design is super important, and I do wish that we we embraced some more camp and some more outrageous creative designs in our protagonists, in our antagonists, in our environments.
1: Because that just that's just interesting, and it's cool to play in those spaces, and we want more of them. Absolutely, and yeah, it allows you to kind of flex your muscles more and do more, which is cool as well. And yeah, Aloy is another great example of a well-designed character. I love the Native American imagery in that whole game. I thought it was really cool. Offensive to some, but yeah, I don't really care. Fucking Vanquish with the with the with the
2: the planet that you were like walking like kind of like on the inside out of. It was so
1: cool. We're gonna be playing Vanquish real soon. Yeah, very exciting. That's another great example of ultimate camp. (laughs) Final question, Chris, comes from Mike Z. My name is Mike Z. Wrong one. Mike Z. Hey, Crisco. I recently sold my gaming PC and gave my Switch to my kids. Now I exclusively use my PS4 and it feels real good being able to focus all my gaming time on one platform. Colin, what would Xbox Series X need to offer in order for you to leave the PlayStation ecosystem? Chris, what would PS5 need to do for, for it to become your one and only? Thanks. Keep up the great work and stay greasy. Ooh, there's, yeah. uh, there's really nothing they can do. I, I'm just being straight up honest with you. I, I, I wish them the best. I hope Series X is a great success for them. I think uh, competition is really important and vital. I think that they have been doing awesome stuff on Xbox, but I'm so ingrained in PlayStation that that's where I'm going to play. I'm playing on PlayStation 5. I can be the only person in the world with a PS5 and that's still where I'm going to play. So my very candid answer is that they could do literally nothing on that platform <laughs> for me to go and play it. Uh, that's just me being honest. I might still buy one because there's going to be maybe the random game. Like I still haven't played Gears 5, although I can play that on PC. So that kind of ameliorates that problem Mm -hmm. because there are certain things I do like on Xbox, especially Gears of War. So I don't know that I even even if they did something, I'm not sure I really need it because I can just go and play the games on PC. So right. As far as services are concerned, I think they're going to be copied and maybe even surpassed by what PlayStation plans on doing with PS now and everything. So. Again, there's just not anything there they're going to be able to do. And I, I feel like that answer is probably going to be pretty common for a lot of people because we're all so ingrained now in these places with digital ecosystems and trophies and achievements and whatever that I, I just think mobility is uh, is going to be, you're going to see fewer people mobile than ever. But what do you think about his question about PS5 being your one and only? What do they need to do?
2: I think my answer would be very similar to yours. I don't think, I don't think there's much that anybody could do to convince me to you know, stay with a single platform. Like, I don't know, maybe a controller option with offset sticks or, like, full backwards compatibility throughout all the generations. But even in that ideal scenario, I feel like I would be too cognizant of the fact that I'd be missing out on too many other experiences to relegate myself to a single machine. Like, there's benefit of the simplicity in sticking to one machine, like not having to remember which Skyrim is your main Skyrim. (laughs) But... Like ultimately like I like Gears of War a lot. I like Halo a ton. I like being able to I like being able to play Resident Evil 2 as a completely naked Ada Wong on PC for no reason. <laughs> you know, I like some of the crazy experiences coming out of high-end VR and my roommates and I play stuff like Super Smash Bros pretty much every day and, you know, I don't know if there's really any amount of technological wizardry that a single platform could do to make me say no to everything else and i also think it's that outside perspective of mine that allows this particular playstation podcast to be as informative and as varied as it is so even professionally i feel like it would hinder me to stick with one system and besides you know colin is plenty playstation devotee for the both of us i don't i don't think i've ever met anyone with as much knowledge about a single platform as he does so i think we're covered on that front so
1: yeah, I agree. Well, thank you. And I, I agree with you. I think that what makes Secret Symbols run is that we're not both devoted, let's say, to the PlayStation platform. You're agnostic. And I think that that's, like you said, allows you to bring in a lot of extra stuff that adds context and texture to our conversation. So for our show, at the very least, I hope that that's the case. And I'm not worried about that. That's why I thought this was an interesting question, because I assumed both of our answers would be the same, that there's really nothing that's going to keep me from just playing on PlayStation 5. And there's nothing that's going to keep you from only playing on PlayStation 5, which is fun. But the the point is, is that we're really on the precipice of a new and exciting generation, I think, regardless of where you play. And I'm really eager to see what they do on Xbox Series X, but I think that they removed any modicum of agnosticism from me when they went to PC day and date, because I have a beautiful $3,000 gaming laptop. I can play whatever I want on it. So, Mm -hmm, yeah, I don't need I don't need that. And right now, now, I know some people are nervous about Horizon and everything, but we don't we don't have that situation with PlayStation five. We already have a George, you know, so I don't think we need to you know, I don't think we need to worry about that too much yet. They're they're just going in two different directions, but we'll learn more. And like I say now every week, Chris, because it's probably getting really annoying. The next episode of the show may very well be a PlayStation five blowout episode. It all depends on when they show it off, how, when, where, et cetera, all right, Chris, let's get the fuck out of here yeah i'm I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like the photographer that throws his camera in the air and someone else catches it yeah, now it's it's their camera now. that's their camera. You get this film out, and you you no, no one does that anymore. Right? no one uses film anymore. no, probably someone does, maybe someone does.
2: probably someone with like a scarf, yeah, oh yeah,
1: definitely. They definitely wear a scarf and a V it's a scarf with a V neck though. Yeah. They have a V neck (laughs) on. So there's like a little bit of a triangle upside down triangle on their chest. Yeah. Very sexual. Very good. All right, Chris. Well, we appreciate you and we appreciate all of you out there for listening and supporting our show. Thank you so much. Remember support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Collins last stand Buy merch Collins last stand.com. Remember also you can search and find high res logos of ours. If you want to make your own merch, if you can't afford ours or don't have the propensity to buy it, we're totally okay with that. So Do what you have to do, but your monetary support is necessary for us to continue. So thank you so much for that. Leave us nice reviews on iTunes, etc. And I think that's it. We'll see you next time for more Sacred Symbols. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Collins Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Raygun. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at CLS Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at Chris R. Gunn and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gun. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Collins Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash collinslaststand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Joe Arch, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bellow, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Miguel Brewer, Lennon Brixie, Eric R. Brown, Jason Budnick, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Nick C., Alex Cabrera, Patrick Harper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chan, Sean Chandler, David Chestnut, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel D'Amore, Colin Davenport, Knight Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Fickenbeiner, Chris Galvin, Darren. Gardner Connor Gashian Alex Gates Michael Gates Salem Ganem Al Tyler Goodwin Hayden Gorringe Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba Jonathan H Eric Harden Tyler Harris Richard Hebert III Kyle Hagel Wyatt Henry Robbie Hensley Scott Hernandez Asa Haas Blake Israel Azan Isa Al Ricey Josh Yeager, Joshua Johnson Paul Joyce Greg Julius, Anton K Patrick Kelly Jeremy Key Andy Kinnanen James Kinslow III Ryan R Kittredge, Mike Nafo, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q Lee Patrick Leslie Keith A Lewis Chad Lewis Lewin Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Ross Baranca, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, Zachariah McAdoo, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartland, Raul Melendez, Andrew Mendoza, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Needer, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George A. Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plymel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Procop, Nathan and R. Ryan Reeves, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Daniel Rivas, Petro Rose, A.G. Rode, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Gregory Slavinsky, Joshua Smallwood, Amad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trempley, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Dylan Wagner, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, Bloody Fang, Jug, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Lockmort, Throw7, mcdog 18 Infinite, Boots, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Not Your Real Dad, Mubarak, Craftheads Podcast, Richter86 Hugo's Desk of Fortuna Andrew Ian Chris Dav9834 GamerFilmaholic Megadet and Rainick. Sorry I had a burp <laughs> <laughs> At least I'm not farting like I was on Sacred Symbols Plus I don't yeah. know if that came through but hopefully it did